Welcome to episode 225 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is no one except for my beautiful and talented mother, Donna Thornton, accompanying me on the piano. Donna, say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, I am home this week uh, for the holidays and possibly COVID. We'll see. Uh, but uh, everyone's back in California. I am here. Um, we did record everything done, so I'm just doing a very short intro for you guys this week. Uh, joining us on the show, uh, we did a wonderful interview with Brian Lanano, uh, director of many short films, including William Crowhand and BFF Girls. Uh, Brian joined us uh, to talk about those. Um, uh, a lot of his older projects, and also we talked to him for quite some time. Uh, this is one of our longer interviews that we've done in, in recent memory. Uh, we talked to several Christmas films as well, three of his favorite. So it's a great interview. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but before we throw it to the interview, uh, Mama, do another loop. Uh, what, what's the song again? Toyland or Joy to the World? Toyland. And now we're going Toyland, okay? Uh, before we get to all the fun stuff with the interview and the intro, which we recorded last week, uh, Oksana, uh, her segment, we're going to tell you about a couple things that are going on at uh, the Balboa and the Roxy virtual screening rooms. At the Balboa currently, uh, they're showing Santa Claus Conquers the Martians from 1964. Martians kidnap Santa to deliver toys to the lethargic children of Mars. But when two Earth children are nabbed, things get complicated. You should see the look on my mother's face. You into that one? No. All right. At the Roxy Theater, they're showing uh, starting January 1st, uh, but tickets go on sale on the 22nd. Uh, tickets available now. Uh, a female World War II pilot traveling with secret documents encounters an evil presence on board. And that is Shadow of the Cloud. So check those out uh, at both the Balboa and the Roxy Theaters, respectively. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those at podcasts at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's time to get my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. And the Overlook Hour is available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not anybody's business what you do on your own personal time. For myself and my mom, we wish you both a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, whatever you got going. We hope you're well, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Santa Claus. I also saw her give him a rim job. <laughs> this week's two sentence horror story given to you by me, Creepy Clark, myself. This is my debut. Russell, your thoughts? Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> Randy, your thoughts? Uh, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Oh, damn. <laughs> One for two, not bad. Clark, your thoughts? It was, it, it was pretty bad. One for three. 33%. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs>
It wasn't that clever, but I, I laughed a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't very clever. Like, I don't know. You probably could have gone some other like Christmas pun or something, but it was okay. Have you heard some of our previous uh, <laughs> uh, things into the two hundred cent? What? I just had a stroke. I'm back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but those were submitted by some freaks. These, these, this one's coming off your dome. <laughs> right. I don't know if we've met, actually. I'm a, I live in a basement. Oh, we, we've spoke a couple of times. We spoke? Yeah, I think we talked about... language? I think we talked about uh, your love of, uh, of music and uh, what's that guy who created the Wall of Sound? Chad Kroger <laughs> from Nickelback. I hear you're supposed to play Frank Sinatra soon in a movie. Chad Kro- No, no, that's Scott Stapp, Randy. Uh, same thing. Russell, did you read that? <laughs> I sent you an article last week where uh, Scott Stapp is to play Frank Sinatra. Oh, no. Yes. He can do it. In his can he? Yeah. Yeah, because Baritone. if you know if you know Scott Stepp, he's a crooner, baby. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. All cro- I don't know. Crooners have to play into the fucking Yarl. It's there in the pyramid of inspiration. You know what? Yeah. Maybe. Yes. But again, if Sinatra's got that silky smooth tone. Do I do I need to be here anymore? <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna go. Thank you, Creepy Clark, as he gave uh, a not great uh, two sentences. <laughs> it wasn't the strongest. It was not. Also, uh, when you leave, because you're going home, uh, we've yes. been instructed to put the Christmas tree on top of his trap door. Because when you're gone, he likes to sleep in your bed. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I, How long I has that been happening? You. Remember when you leaked anal juice I... on the chair? And you're like, I could have never told you. Yeah, I should, probably shouldn't have told you that either. That's true. I've, I've been wondering why my bed smelled like Funyuns. Was he a pothead too? <laughs> you're missing gummies. I have, I have never had Funyuns in my life. Wow. Never. You really got to. First of all, I'm not an Onion Rings fan. Oh, weird. And I then I'm like, why would I want a bad version of Onion Rings? Well, uh, the only thing I. Um, the only comment I have for Funyuns is they'll chop the shit out of your mouth. The way that they crunch, like if you put the whole onion ring in your mouth and bite down, yeah. it's, it's made to make you bleed. <laughs> Does that it's make you bleed? It's made to make you bleed. <laughs> yeah, you, Funyuns, uh, try us. Well, you know, I had never thought of them actually pretending to be like an onion ring, but they are in that ring shape and you're probably right. I just thought it was like a fun shape so you could play with it. You know, like with a chip, like a tortilla chip, you don't put the whole triangle in your mouth and bite down. But I always did with the the Funyuns. Yeah. And they still break and they still will cut you up. They're fun to play with, huh? (laughs) Well, you could like put one around your dick or something. Oh, whoa. (laughs) All right. Happy holidays, everybody. (laughs) Good Lord, Randy. God damn. (laughs) White collar Randy. Dude, Randy's turning into... What the fuck? <laughs> I'm like shocked. Here, okay. So, yeah, it's our holiday episode. I'm going to take Randy's uh, very crude <laughs> remark right there and just run with it. And uh, we got some Christmas mu- music for you. Oh, Don't no. say a fucking word. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. 
controls can suck my fucking cock. Rolling a blunt and fucking their mom in the what a right time. It's the right time to sock these trolls away. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle so, now, now I'm starting to think that Creepy Clark's Two Sentence Horror Story wasn't that bad. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, that was my, fav- that was my favorite oh, lyric. My so, over the last week, Cobra came out with a full Christmas carols album. There are, oh my God, there are over 12 songs on here uh, from hits going, here, I'm going to cut that. Uh, we've got Jingle Bells Rock. We've got Rudolph the Red-Nosed Gangster. Frosty the Stone Snowman. We got Xmas Tree Bud. <laughs> All right, we've got my favorite here. Is the fourth track, Silent Fart. If, if you're counting the intro. Now, I'm not going to torture you all with any more of it, but I am going to torture our audience as I've sent Randy a couple of uh, cut-down outro intro musics for later on. Um, I highly recommend. There's a thing on Reddit where a lot of people, we knew this was coming out because Cobra kept teasing it. And he played a little bit of it. And it's like, it's God awful. And the first time you hear it is with him. Mm. And he's just laughing. And he's like, you know, it's been a really bad year. So I just want to make people laugh. And it's like, I don't know. When we were talking to Brian in our interview later, he brings up outsider art. Yeah. And I, brief, <laughs> I briefly, I, I said like, you know, I don't, it's a new kind of way of looking at this art that I'm not super familiar with. I know the um, uh, Scary Thoughts guys, like they're much more versed in that conversation, but I guess this would count as outsider art. And, uh, you know, Christmas can get a little boring. So I'm going to link that up (laughs) in the show notes. The complete album has been posted by Anonymous Casper, which is uh, a Cobraverse guy. He posts videos that are deleted. But um, if you go to deathbed tapes, you can get a cassette tape of uh, the Christmas carols. Oh, my God. Uh, is it, this is brand new? Yeah, it came out last week. And uh, mine should be on its way to the house. <laughs> Do you even have a cassette player? I'll tell you this. I had plans on, oh, when did this shit drop? I, I forget. I think it was like Monday night. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do shit. And then this came out. And I went, I got to hear it. I sat down, listened to the whole thing, one shot through. Oh my god! I had such a bad headache, dude. It was killing me. Um, one of them was the night before Christmas. It's a uh, him and Sean read the story together, dude. It's it's almost like it's gold. It's like it's so good, and it's so bad. In the end of R- Rudolph the Red Nosed Gangster Reindeer, he kills himself in prison. Also, you'll notice, like when Jingle Bell Rock. He comes in early, four seconds to every song. Oh, it's he. It is. <laughs> it is astounding how tone deaf he is. Oh yeah, it's like he can't even hear it, and and it's almost it creates this weird avant garde dance. A hundred percent because because you or me, I, I, any of us at this table and the table in Oakland, I assume that Randy's talking, <laughs> um, cannot. We can't do that Mm-mm. because we understand how music works. And like, but for him to just have complete disregard for that, that is something special. I, I, I don't know what's going on there. And the other weird thing is when lack he, of brainwave. When he does like freestyle rap, though, he's on beat, and every now and then he'll have like clever bars show up. Like he's not, he's just not great at it. Yeah. But like this shit, it's like, I don't know what kind of picture it would paint if you had never seen the man before. And then when you see him, you're like, oh, okay, I kind of get it now. 
But dude, it's it's loaded. And I'll tell you, the hardest one to get through might be my favorite, the 12 Days of Christmas. Mm. If you can imagine what he replaces for each day. Oh, it's over five minutes long. Oh, he does the whole thing. And dude, he loses that beat like two like uh, like two seconds into the song. And you know, that one's important because at the fifth day, it kind of changes up the pattern. Oh my God. It is it is beautiful. I love how it goes from Jingle Bell Rock to Jingle Bells. I know, yeah. And <laughs> and it, shout out to uh, Deathbed Tapes. He distributes like, you know, like a lot of like metal music and stuff. And I, he gets it. So he doesn't fuck with any of his music. Good. I think he EQs it. Yeah. Because the original shit Cobra played, you could barely hear his vocals. The music was so loud and off time, but this is a uh, palatable. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, that's, yeah. Do you even have a cassette player? I don't think I do. I have several cassette tapes that I bought like last year though. <laughs> no, you know what? I do have a stereo. You got to find your Walkman, dude. In the garage. <laughs> I'd fuck with a Walkman. I could probably find my Walkman back home. I'd level up as a hipster like 10 times if I had one of those. You know, Walkman was great. You know what was not great? The Discman. Oh, fuck no. No, I, I remember. God. I remember riding a bus with that on my lap. Like holding it up so that it would oh, get. Oh, <laughs> yeah, dude. I, all the, tri- dude, that's all I remember going on various trips as a kid and my discman, like me trying to not let it skip. Dude. As I'm listening to ska music. Really? <laughs> yeah. You just, you gave me a terrible flashback. Like, um, I, I think I'm an extrovert. I've come around to it. I really like being around people, but I, you wouldn't know in high school. And I just wanted no eyeballs on me. Like, don't look at me like I just want to hide. And I remember multiple times now getting up to like hurriedly get off a crowded bus and dropping my Walkman and it just exploding with the CD on the floor. And oh. like, a, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, like that whole interaction. And then they had like, oh, this is anti-skip technology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Was it DualShock? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, look, tap it. It's still playing. Yeah. <laughs> God, the, what the arc, the dark ages that we lived through yeah, of technology. Remember when the fucking iPod came out? Oh God, that shit was like, it was like, oh, music is it's like it's a brick. Different. It's forever though. It was like I could put two <sighs> CDs on here, <laughs> dude. I remember. This shows you how stupid I am. Oh no. So I, I graduated in 2005 from high school, and as a graduation present, I had asked for an MP3 player. And yeah. I specifically not for an iPod. Oh no! Because I, because I wanted to play, I wanted to have radio capabilities so I could listen to uh, sports games. Wait, so on you, the radio. So I got a Philips oh. MP3 player. Hmm. Never figured out how to put music on that fucking thing, <laughs> and it was just it worthless. I had a Zune before I had an iPod. Fuck. Yeah, I was a yeah, I was always a. I was more of a Windows guy up until I started uh, editing video and audio and shit in community college, and then I never turned back, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, once you're in that Apple cult, it is really hard to get out. Yep. Yeah, I I just I I, it's it's hard to get out, man. I've I am settled in. You fucking addict. I can't. Everything (laughs) is tied together. I know, and that's what I hate about it. I don't, you need an inquisitive mind. It's man. Apple Music. That that's really the big thing for me. 
is well, that all my music. Um, so I have an iPod that I don't use anymore, thank God, and I got a Spotify account. Yeah. And uh, dude, I remember sitting down with my iTunes and categorizing like 10,000 songs by subgenre of metal. It took me two days. <laughs> I'm not joking. And, and it's kind of a nightmare because now when I want to like, when I go by genre, it's it's like, oh, do you want like neo black metal? Like it's so specific that it's like everything is five songs. Yeah. But I mean, I was using iTunes and I haven't had an iPod or an iPhone since like, oh man, it's been over a decade. So yeah, I don't know. I got out of there. Really, the th- the appeal of an Android was that you could open it up. You could put files on there and fuck around. Yeah. And I had a jailbroken uh, iPhone, but then, I don't know. Tonight is going to be a jailbroken phone. Didn't work. <laughs> Good job. All right. Is that, is that it for the intro? What was, Just a what was the Gwilliam of- song in the interview? that got Oh, Gwilliam on film. Oh, yes. Two <laughs> minutes late. <laughs> we do that for everything. I don't think, I don't think Brian... Uh, he just smiled and, and we kept him up. He's like, "Yo, I regret being here." <laughs> no, we, he was. He, we talked to him for an hour and forty-five minutes. I know. Yeah. Right? Did you know that's a very long interview? Uh, yeah, I heard. Uh, yeah, I thirty minutes ago before we were recording, I said I think we recorded an hour and a half, but I hung up or I stopped the recording and talked to him for another half hour. It actually killed all my pre-production time. Which is fine. I only wanted to play that Cobra intro to get the holiday. Does that just steam your snatch? (laughs) I just wanted to get the holiday uh, vibe going. Yeah, got it. Thank, thank you, (laughs) Josh Saunders. (laughs) All right, now Randy, um, you're going to kick us off here with some movie talk, and and from what I see here, as Russell's put up your film on the screen, you're talking about this may be the first G-rated movie we've ever talked about on this show. Nah, I didn't even see what the rating was, but uh, I guess <laughs> that that makes sense. Movie? Yeah, we we talk? had um um Zach came on and we covered that regional uh, little kid movie. Okay, that's PG. They talk, was about, it PG? They talk about drugs, uh, and <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, based on what I see here, I don't think there's any drugs I, in this movie. Okay, well, what about um Lookies last year? I think I put a dog's way home. That's PG. My... Oh, maybe you're right. Take the dog's way home. I don't know. I keep a very extensive list of everything we talk about now. I bet you I do. Could, I bet you I could do. find okay. something. All right. There's your work. But I'm worried you might be right now. <laughs> Sorry, Randa. <laughs> it's one of the few. Randa? Randa? Randa. I'm and talking. I, you're, I look yeah, you're reading though. the title of the movie and trying to say my name? Yeah. All right, Randy, tell us about this pig. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm going to read a, a little quote from filmmaker Paul Thomas Anderson talking right. about oh. this movie. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Say his name again. Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, okay. God damn it. There are so many buttons on that board. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite one. So uh, PTA calls this movie Pure Cinema. He says oh, it's a film that you need to take a bath in. It's stripped to its essential <laughs> elements without any interference. This movie <sighs> is called Gunda. I, you know what? I loved Paul Thomas Anderson until you read that last sentence from him. <laughs> now, now I've got a, I got a question. I, uh, I, I omitted some words, and then there's another couple sentences where he just <laughs> keeps talking about how good the movie is, too. All right. But, um, okay. yeah, it's a, it is a movie um, that basically just follows. It's in black and white. There's no dialogue. There's no music. 
and it just follows the uh, daily life of a pig on this farm, and uh, it's it's kid pigs that it just had, it's it's offspring, and uh, two cows and a one-legged chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and uh kid the, pigs that's a band name <laughs> <laughs> two kid uh, pigs and a one-legged chicken uh so if you are a uh you know a person who likes to indulge in uh the flesh of animals you may not want to watch this movie uh it is uh i believe produced by joaquin phoenix who is uh very spoken about being a, a vegan. We are um, familiar. <laughs> yes, but um, I watched it and uh, I dug it quite a bit. Um, it the black and white photography is really really great. Um, they like do really good work with like depth and like shadows, and it looks like you know that they would have like went in there and like lit this place to like look um, good for black and white. But it seems like they're just there, kind of filming. Uh, things happening because you know you can't really uh, stage what they're gonna do. You kind of just got to be there and react. And um, I don't know. It just looked looked super good. Now, Randy, um, can you confirm or deny that they shot this on black and white film? Uh, I don't know. It looks pretty digital to me. Mm, so I think it's probably yeah, digital black and white. Yeah, I don't know, Randy. I uh, I love to eat meat, and I, yeah. I mostly eat poultry. Um, but I, I love a good pig. Yeah. And I would totally watch this movie. I actually, I don't really get the like, you know, if you, if you want to like eat meat, you have to have a weird distorted view of animals. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't we love them and eat them? I, I honestly, I think it's best for we the We do animals. that with women, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, okay. no, I get that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the movie will definitely leave you semi devastated, um, by the end. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's definitely like a, a an experience movie. Um, yeah, like I said, there's not really a plot, but um, I don't know. I found it pretty compelling, and yeah, it's it's beautiful to look at. Now, is this where they got Benny's video from? No, this just came out this year. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen Benny's video, right, Clark? No, we talked about it the other week. Oh, well, it opens with the bolt gun. Oh, so nice. yeah, there was there's nothing that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing that violent in the movie. It just kind of uh, focuses on sort of like, you know, this pig and the offspring, and uh, the offspring disappears at one point. Oh, the band? Yeah, dude. I'm in. Where's I that? hear uh, <laughs> one of their members has a hot sauce. I hear is pretty good. Sign me up. It goes great with pig. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I don't know. I forgot. God damn it. Anyway, all right. Offspring? Pigs eating meat, hot sauce. It was meat. It was something about meat. Uh, it doesn't matter. So Ray, this is this is from the Netherlands, Randy. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Victor okay. Kosakowski. Good and, job. And how did how did you watch this? Uh, I rented it, and there was a a Q and A with Joaquin Phoenix and Victor afterwards. Victor, the director. Yes. Dude, it uh, IMDb. They're saying if you like this movie, you should watch The Truffle Hunters. I hear that movie is great as well. So I might give it a shot. (laughs) You going double pig for the holidays? (laughs) Well, truffle uh, dogs hunt for truffles. I believe pigs do as well. But pigs do, pigs do. But I, I, I I watch a lot of uh, remotes uh, from Conan. 
And okay. uh, when they were in Italy, uh, they went truffle hunting with some dogs. I do believe that dogs do uh, truffle hunting. As well. D- but pigs also do. D-A-W-G? for truffles. Or D-O-G? I'm sorry? <laughs> Nothing power through it. Some Italian dogs. <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, I get your point with the whole animal thing and, you know, friend or, you know, uh, sustenance. Yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. Especially like with pigs, because pigs are interesting because everyone wants to eat them. Immediately <laughs> talk about how smart and intelligent pigs are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, pigs are also, I mean, muy delicioso. They're also brutal. Oh, uh, pig will fuck you up. Have you ever, um, all right. What? So I know Coot had his 4-H stories. Our former third chair. Yes. Justin um, Coot, who now has an Amazon Prime show. But I, <laughs> when I was in elementary school, we would have like a fall festival um, at the high school. And I should say that the elementary school and the high school is the same school. Okay. okay. I went, I went, there were 500 people at the entire school. That's kindergarten through senior through 12th grade is 500 people. Um, so every fall they would have like a fall festival and they would have, you know, everyone has a fall festival, I feel like, right? You know? Yeah. Like, like carnival a dance games or something. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like carnival games and fundraisers and stuff. And, uh, we would have uh pig wrestling. Oh. Um, and I think they only had it for a couple years. I did it one time. And they, oh, you was, fought a pig? It was, I, it, dude, I was small. They make you wear a mouth And it was guard? like a little baby pig. And <laughs> they would like, they would grease up the pig. And <laughs> you had to like, go grab the little baby pig. Oh, you told the story. You knocked the pig out. And that's where you got the name Little Ham Hands. Oh, boy. <laughs> I got the name Little Ham Hands because I don't think my parents should have made it. <laughs> that's why. I'm a science experiment gone wrong, well, baby. Now, when you go home for the holidays, try and get some pictures of you beating up a pig. I don't think that was photographed. Why? I don't know. What? Why do you I do? I barely something? remember it too. I remember <laughs> being terrified and excited, and a little confused. Because, because, <laughs> because at that time, I mean, look, I had grown up around. You grew up around animals, and so it's it. That's not uncommon. But then. Then they're throwing you in this arena and say, have direct contact with this greasy, small little filth monster. Mm-hmm. For an eight-year-old, Is that that's what they're confusing. telling the pig? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I'll tell you right now, I would have, a, I would have pigs. <laughs> I would have little baby pigs. And, I, and I, I don't, I think if I had a pig, I wouldn't eat it. Okay. Same with chickens. I, I, I think I would have chickens just for the eggs. But I would have no problem going out to my chickens or my pig and eating a piece of bacon in front of the pig. And, you know, I'm not going to feed it to the pig. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I talk big about it too, but like when pets die, I think my parents sheltered me from that end. Yeah. So, like, I don't even do well with the corpse if of a I, cat yeah. or anything. If like, I had chickens, I wouldn't eat those chickens. Unless I'm farming chickens for that reason. But, you know, if I'm just having some chickens, you know, for eggs and stuff. Dude, if we had, like, a backyard, I'd totally have chickens. I would love <laughs> to have eggs Chicken, every day. Have you ever been around chickens? I've lived in neighborhoods where there were a lot of chickens next door. They're uh, they're savage, man. They're, they're, they're little dinosaurs. One of my earliest uh, memories was my mom telling me about our grandmother who would uh, chop their heads off and let them run around in the backyard mm-hmm. like headless. Yeah. 
I don't know why, but I, I remember like committing that to my memory when I was like four or five. And yeah, my grandpa worked on a chicken farm and he said, uh, he told us the same thing when we were young that they would uh, try to see how many they can get going at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that? Is that what you tell little children? Like, oh, chickens, when you cut their heads off, they'll run around. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also, I just think it's that, you know, older generation where there, there really is no attachment to yeah. those things. Yeah. Like, because I remember, you know, the, the first time I went squirrel hunting. Oh, here we go. And then they grease you up for that too. And then we we got a bag of squirrels. <laughs> and then we go and we dress the squirrels. And that like little I had, I had been around <laughs> like dressing a deer never really affected big clothes at all. Um, now I nearly almost died addressing a deer because we didn't set. So when you dress, all right, I don't know why we got down this road, but when dressing you, a deer, when you dress a deer, you have to hang it. Okay, and then and then you have you have to gut it, and you got to get all oh. the the bad stuff out, like a dry cleaner. Yeah, you, you hang up the clothing. Sure. <laughs> and we we hung it. We used to hang it. We had an old swing set at my grandparents' <laughs> house, and that was a perfect spot. For whatever reason, we didn't do it on there. We did it off a tree branch, and we had we did it on like a tire iron. Oh, okay. And that shit slipped, and then it <laughs> flew, and it almost hit me in the head. I nearly almost died. The carcass of a deer? No, no, no. The tire oh, the iron. The tire iron. Yes, okay. the whole we had the whole weight of oh. a deer on that thing and it fell off and then the the tire iron like flew towards me and I almost died. Do you have like PTSD around tire irons now? <sighs> I I mean, you know, it, it's going to be a whole separate episode talking about all the different <laughs> P, PTSDs I got. The tire iron doesn't even make the top 20. Dude, but I I was waiting tables with this Brazilian dude. Hey. Who told me a story like, I mean, like it wasn't like a back home story. Yeah. It was like two days ago, I was uh, changing this tire and it was low. So he filled it up and it exploded mm. and the rim went by his head. <sighs> and then the it, the mechanic at the shop came over and said, oh, normally people die when that happens. I'm and telling you. <laughs> yeah. Geez. I have almost died several times just doing stupid shit. Well, now all the tires on my car are flat <laughs> because <laughs> of that story. Uh, but anyway, back back to close about addressing a squirrel. Okay, but <laughs> so squirrels obviously very different than a deer. Uh, so with squirrel, you basically just peel the skin back, and then it looked so much like our little four pound teacup chihuahua oh. that it freaked me out. I played Red Dead Redemption I didn't too. Like it. Yeah, I've seen squirrels are easy to dress. You, you, just, do this you just do a little cutting and you just rip it right off. Find a little tailor. Cool little Nora. <laughs> Squirrel's not bad. Squirrel eating stew. <laughs> However, you do need to watch out for the pellets because you shoot it with a shotgun. So, yeah. uh-huh. so what? You could chew on a pellet. Oh, it's no good. You yeah. just got to make sure you do a good job. Do they have like it. urban legend? Like, oh, you bit a pellet. That's good luck. Oh god, dude. If you ever uh, fuck that, dude. <laughs> well, you know, in in I heard in Paris, I knew a girl that moved out there. She said if you stepped in dog shit, they said like that's good luck. And it's really, you know, the culture trying to address a problem, which is nobody picks up their dog shit. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, you make a lemonade out of lemons. Dog shit's rough. You know, like a bird took a shit on you. It's good luck. <laughs> bird you, shit's also bad. You dress a squirrel and uh, chew on its pellet. It's good luck. In elementary school, if we were good, we would go out to the picnic tables to have class. And we did that one time. And then we had this stinky girl. <laughs> <laughs> and the, a bird pooped on her. <laughs> She never lived that down. She transferred schools. 
She tra- <laughs> I just remembered that. She transferred because her. <laughs> now, from where you're from, does that mean she moved to another state? Also, um, she's <laughs> she may or may not be missing. <laughs> she was missing. All right, Randy, you got I another just, film? <laughs> I just remembered that. She like abandoned her child. <laughs> Clark's going to text me like two hours after we're done and ask me to edit this out. I know, right? I didn't say a name, did I? No. Okay, leave it in. All right. I'm sure she's fine. Oh. I think she was seen at a Trump rally a while back. So she, she transferred, dude. <laughs> she get out of there. Randy, go, please. <laughs> All good. So yeah, that uh, we got off on that tangent after talking about Gunda, which is a neon neon picture. Oh, Gunda. that explains it. Gunda yeah. Matata. It's been on... Uh, Gunda Matata. <laughs> <laughs> it's been on some 2020 lists, that and the Truffle Hunters. So Fuck I might it. tune in next week for Truffle Hunters review. But uh, <laughs> I, next... I wouldn't speak to that. Um... We talked about this on an episode that ever never actually made it to air, but uh, director Steve McQueen has been uh, releasing some things via Amazon, uh, which originally aired in the BBC. Um, it is a anthology film series called Small Axe. I just finished uh, the series today um, with the last um, film, television, whatever you want to call it, uh, the last episode, the last film called Education. Um, which was pretty good. Um, and as a whole, I I liked it quite a bit. The series um, is five separate stories um, about the lives of uh, West Indian immigrants in London around like the 60s and 70s. Uh, I think it's in the uh, Notting Hill neighborhood um, before it was gentrified and they made a, yeah, a Julia Roberts film about it. Um, but yeah, they're all, they're all pretty solid. Um, I think Lover's Rock is probably my favorite, which is essentially just like, uh, I think it's like 74 minutes or so, and it's pretty much just a, uh, it's like a party movie. It just kind of shows um, this party with uh, reggae music and people kind of getting together um, at this event, which is, um, I don't know, it's really good. It's It's got a really um, good soundtrack. I'm not like super into, uh, you know, reggae type of music, but- Yeah, uh, what if you hate reggae? Um, so, I mean, I'm not a big reggae person at all, and the genre uh, of lover's rock um, is kind of like a more, um, like, romantic, a little more, like, almost ballady um, type of reggae music, um, kind of like a little more soul-y, maybe, um, and I kind of, I dug it, I don't know, it was, the music was was really good. Um, I don't like that's why I don't like the police. Defund that band. <laughs> Baby. Uh, yeah, and then, so yeah, Lover's Rock is uh, really good. Probably my favorite. And then um, probably after that is is Mangrove, um, which is... That's the court drama? Yeah, it's the court drama. Um, I would say if you want to watch one court drama that came out this year, I would watch Mangrove and not Sh- Trial of the Trial. Chicago 7. Yeah, I'm with you. Sorkin's a hack, dude. I Like, I watched that too. It's just... I, I I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I just can't yeah. do it anymore. It's fine, but there's it's just ye, ye. We've talked about this all the time. I'm a man who likes 
just to go with the flow. Big butts. And I rebel against certain things. And some of those things I rebel against is, is formula. Mm-hmm. I fight formula sometimes. I don't like things to be formulaic. And everything that Sorkin does is very much the Sorkin formula. And I'm just, I, 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 I just don't like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It feels suffocating to me. That's why you beat up chemists. <laughs> Sorkin, fucking, uh, who's the other one? Oh, God. I'm forgetting. Randy. He wears glasses. Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Um, Why Alex Baldwin. No. Mammoth. <laughs> Mammoth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mammoth, yeah. Look at him. He's also he's also got the writer glasses. Him and Mammoth got the same little glasses. What is it with the, the small black little uh, thin frames with the, the rounded rims? What is that about? Why has everyone got to do that? Pretension. <laughs> it I is pretension. Balabans. I'm going to give me a pair right now. Oh my God. Just kidding. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I was just so tempted right there to play another Cobra song. Cause y'all were talking about Rasta and in, um, Frosty, the stone snowman. It's about him. Somebody puts a Rasta hat. On Frosty. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh dude. I'm not going to play it, but I, it paralyzed me for a minute. I had a deep inner struggle to fight back and I didn't because I, I love everybody listening. And I know I can only get so much Cobra through. All right, Randy, you got anything else, Bab? Uh, no, that's about it for this week. I've just been uh, re-watching some things. And yeah, Small Axe, Steve McQueen, Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. I rewatched uh, a thing earlier this week, too. I rewatched The Gentleman from Guy Ritchie. <laughs> wow. Cool. What do you even talk about, though? <laughs> the reason why I brought that up, Russell, okay. is because there's a common thread between The Gentleman by Guy Ritchie and the movie that I'm going to talk about now, Jungle Land, uh, which is from earlier this year. I believe it was released last month. Um, I had added it in my queue in iTunes, forgot about it, and then was looking for something to watch today and saw this. And it's like, okay, uh, Russ, can you scroll up to the top there? Two brothers try to escape their circumstances by traveling across the country for a no-holds-barred boxing match that becomes a fight. For their lives. Now, is that is it directed by Henry Winkler's son? Is Max Winkler Henry? I don't think so. I don't know. How many Winklers are click, out there? Click on Max Winkler. Because I did not make that connection, well, Russell. He, you want to know why I did? Why? Uh, See full bio. Uh, you know what? He kind of looks like Henry Winkler. Where the fuck is the full, he, See full he bio? Totally See does. full bio. Right there. 2019. Henry Winkler. See full, oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> There, yes. Uh, scroll down, scroll down. Henry Winkler. Yeah. Son of he- look at that. Do you, you want to know why um, I uh, made that connection? Because I just fucking wrapped three gifts for Henry Winkler at work. They're the most annoying <laughs> thing he ordered. I, so, you know, when we get a lot of uh, VIP clients, well, you know, me, I treat every client like they're a VIP. But <laughs> when we get like a Henry Winkler, it's always fun to be like, oh, what are they ordering? They ordered these, he ordered these tacky bowls. They're splattered. I, I shouldn't be plugging this stuff, but uh, they all had to be individually wrapped. And like, he wanted post-it notes on them with what color was in the, I was like, you motherfucker, many, Henry Ring. How much are these bowls? Uh, they're cheap. That's the other thing. We we have garbage. Okay. Are you saying Winkler's are cheap? Well, they're cheap, but they're, uh, you can only get them through the company that mm-hmm. I work for. 
which is everything else is just. What do you like, think Winkler's going to do with these bowls? Cereal? Is he a cereal no, guy? I think it's a lazy gift. He's just going to get them uh, oatmeal. right in the yard and send them out. Oatmeal. Randy thinks he's an oatmeal man. No, they're too big. They're 17 inches. So they're, unless you're eating a lot of oatmeal. Well, you know Fruit these salad. Oh, okay. uh, that is true. You are drinking water out of a craft right now. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. I had that same conversation where it's like, Winkler, because I think it was actually under his wife's name. Look at that. He does look like his daddy. He totally does. Anyway, Henry Winkler. Hey, he's five foot four. My brother. Directed a <laughs> movie about boxing. <laughs> yeah, bare knuckle boxing. So um, anytime you, you tell me a, a movie about bare knuckle boxing, I, I want this grimy, lo-fi. Grizzly. Yeah, yeah I, that's <laughs> what I want. This is not that. Um, now, I'm not saying that this is, um, th- there was clearly a little bit of money in this. Uh, Charlie Hunnam is attached along with Jack O'Connell. Charlie Hunnam is the uh, connection that I had with the oh, gentleman as he okay. is in The Gentleman as well. Um, also starring Jack O'Connell, if you remember, um, he was in uh, the great film Starred Up from several years ago. What else has Jack O'Connell been in? Um, yeah, pull him up. One of the seven unbroken startup Eden Lake. Yeah. Uh, he's great. He's, he's, um, I love, I love this kid. Uh, he fully goes into every role he's gotten. I mean, dude, he, you would think now there's, there's three fighting scenes in this two, two professional fights. And then one where they fight to get their car back. (laughs) Where he fights two mechanics at the same time. That's the Rocky three of the Um, fights. This this turns it. This is a road movie. Uh, oh, this also stars uh, Randy Jonathan Majors uh, oh, from nice. the Black Man in San Francisco and uh, Lovecraft Country. He's uh, the lead in Lovecraft Country. Um, he plays the heavy. Now this is the he plays a good heavy. He doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie. Um, he's a much he has a much meatier role as a heavy in uh, White Boy Rick, uh, which is not a good film, but he's good at it. Um, I do not recommend White Boy Rick, but I do recommend uh, Jonathan Majorson. Anyway, uh, back to this. Uh, this turns into a road movie where these two brothers, uh, Charlie Hunnam plays the promoter and the manager of Jack O'Connell. Um, and as we learned, Jack O'Connell uh, had to go into bare knuckle boxing because his brother had his license revoked uh, because he tried to bribe a referee. Uh, Charlie Hunnam does a great job in this. Honestly, it's, it, I think it's one of his better roles uh, to where he just plays a, he plays an out down and out scumbag and he's trying to get his brother fights. He has good intentions. However, at the end of the day, he does selfish things <laughs> and um, he is, he is both a um, help and hindrance to his brother and his career. Uh, he has good intentions, but he gets in his own way a lot and he gets in his brother's way. And um, because of Charlie Hunnam's character's uh, decisions, they have to go on the run. And uh, they go there. They're actually funded by Jonathan Major's character, who plays uh, sort of a um, he's a bad guy. He's he's dealing with drugs and trafficking women. And he's he's a big boss guy. And and Charlie Hunnam's character owes him money. And he's like, look, uh, you took a dive on this fight. You owe me money. So there's a big fight in San Francisco called Jungle Land in Chinatown. Uh, I'm going to, I'll hook you up with the fight. You get there, uh, but you got to take this girl with you to Reno. (laughs) 
And so it turns into a road movie. Uh, they, of course, run out of money. Uh, they run into a lot of trouble. And then they realize that the girl that they're sending to Reno is a girl that is owned by another drug dealer guy who is in competition. And then Jonathan Major's character basically set them up. And so they're in trouble. Um, like I said, I one of my favorite movies in the past few years was A Prayer Before Dawn. And I kind of wanted this to be that. Where A Prayer Before Dawn is a very um, limited storytelling where the, the majority of the, the picture takes place in the prison. And yeah. my bad. we enter this world that, this terrifying world of this um, Thai prison that's just a horrible, horrible place. And uh, great fighting sequences. And, and there's not a ton of fighting here. This is a family drama centered around bare knuckle boxing. Um, so it took me a little while to get used to that. Cause I, I don't know. I just wanted to, um, well, here's what's, here. what's our guy who did dark Knight, Tim Patton. Yeah. yeah. Tim Patton did a movie. Sutton. Called, Sutton. Yeah, Tim yeah. Sutton. I'm sorry. Not Tim Patton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tim Sutton. Um, he did a movie called Donnie Brook, which is about bare knuckle boxing, which I had not seen. So I kind of wanted something along that. And this is, you know, a road movie with two brothers. And um, I I did thoroughly enjoy it. It, it took me a while to kind of get used to, to its its flow. But once it settled in, I was in. And uh, I loved the last shot of the movie, the last uh, sequence there, uh, which, you know, I saw it coming from a mile away. But it's satisfying because I wanted it to end that way. And he also ended it with a Bruce Springsteen song. So that, that signed me up. Now. Um, also in, in, in Chinatown in bare San no Francisco. Bare knuckle boxing, is it used as a frame to like CD um, Underworld? Like, oh, he has no other choice, so he's going to the underground. Because he had his license revoked. Now, I, I only bring that up because bare knuckle boxing, there's actually like a professional league going now. And the owner has been coming out. He's been very outspoken about how bare knuckle boxing's way safer than actual boxing. Yeah, And that, that's why that audio started playing because I wanted to pull like some of the quotes like here he said, uh, I've glove um, in glove boxing. I deal with more swear, swelling. I I very rarely see cuts, but you end up taking more sustained damage because your hands are protected. He also talks about how you can be near knockout a lot longer in regular boxing, where in bare knuckle, if you go down, it's you're done. And uh, a lot of the injury is like superficial, so there's actually like a trend to kind of destigmatize bare knuckle boxing. But I'll tell you, I've, you know, I've been watching a lot of YouTube and yeah. I've, I've fallen in a boxing thing. It actually kind of helps me like mo motivate me for working out. And I've been watching some of the bare knuckle. Dude, it's just, it feels so barbaric. Yeah. And I mean, I've watched like little girls like bare knuckle box because I thought, oh, <laughs> well, it's just, you <laughs> know. That's something we want to broadcast? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're fighting pigs when you're eight. Uh, right. So I'm watching 12 year olds go Took at that it. little porker down. <laughs> I thought it wouldn't be that bad because, you know, I've seen real fights where people didn't know how to throw a punch, but even if they did, they didn't really have much to back it up with. And yeah, I thought it would be like that. Dude, it's, it's brutal. It feels like, I don't know what the boxing gloves do, but they're almost like easier for the audience to palate. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm just curious, like to bare knuckle boxing fans, if this is like a stigma they normally deal with. I'm sure. Yeah. And I don't know. 
Because it's like, oh, he has nothing else to do but go bare. Like I said, in this, in this, they show two separate fights. Now, the first fight is very much an underground thing of sort of unsanctioned. Yeah, but unless they're like taping glass to their hand, no, I'm like, it's, yeah. it's not like that. Yeah, uh, and the, and then Jungle Land, which is the actual event, uh, takes place um, in Chinatown. Um, again, sort of in an underground yeah, thing, yeah. but there's clearly money involved. It's a nice arena that they're in. Um, and the well-dressed people that are throwing money around, it's sort of a, you know, somebody gets knocked down. They look, look to us. the, to the guy in the big throne and he gives them a thumbs up or a thumbs kinda, down. <laughs> kind of. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I recommend it. And, uh, Henry Winkler's son. Good for you, buddy. Right. I might check it out. Sounds Terrible. all right. Terrible taste in kitchenware. <laughs> but honestly, the things that they get right in here, um, they really get the the brother relationship, and, and that's really um, you know, the, the strong suit of the film. Um, they really got that right. That and the right jab. The right jab is little... <laughs> How is San Francisco shot in the movie? Is there a lot very of Very little, now? very little. Um, I... They shot Randy maybe... A scene in San Francisco. Oh, they may yeah, they really. spend a day. That's fine. Paint the picture. I'm pretty sure it's San Francisco, though. Okay. Well, it has to be one because they're at the bottom of the Golden Gate Bridge. Once. Okay. Uh, I mean, you got to do that. Vertigo. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it's clearly like okay, we have to have an establishing shot in front of the Golden Gate Bridge to yeah. let them know, hey, we're here. Then somebody drowns, and uh, next thing we know, they're naked in a bed. And yeah. It's really <laughs> on the audience to imagine them undressing yeah. the other. It's like because you can't. I mean, where else are you going to, it's like, oh, we're at Coit Tower. <laughs> He's got green trunks on, and we're like, what is that? Yeah. Actually, uh, later on in the interview, we talk about classical music playing a role. Hitchcock did it in that film. Oh, that is, yeah. thank you for bringing that up. The one thing that did annoy me, again, because uh -oh. I was looking for something that was, you know, grimy, and, you know, we're talking about bare knuckle boxing. The score is orchestral. <laughs> and so that, that really kind of threw me off. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't really, I didn't want string music with bare knuckle boxing. It's like they're chasing an ox Oscar. You know what I mean? Like there is yeah. a little bit of that. It, there, it's, it's a little glossier than I had wanted. Yeah. But again, once I settled into the movie, I really enjoyed it. I own girl fight. You want to watch that? That's a hard, it's a, <laughs> you, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like no, you go I, I in, expectations can kill you for a movie. But fortunately I, I was able to rebound and, um, you took a hit, but you recovered. Because I think I think trailers can help with that. Okay. They can hinder it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. To where because again, um uh Robbie, friend of the show, Robbie Smith, yep. uh sent me a message uh saying that uh he saw a movie that he recommended me for to watch, and I almost watched it for this show. Uh -huh. I did not watch it because I watched the trailer. I, I don't get you trailer people, man. <laughs> You got to trust the friend or, you know. I know. I know. I just. Dude, trailers and can't I, do look, nothing Here's the thing. I'm still going to watch the movie because I, I, I do think that it does look like up my alley. But the trailer man made the movie? it seem like this super <laughs> saccharine, like a Hallmark movie, which I don't think it is. Uh, Randy, it's called Working Man. Ah, okay. I, I heard of it. Out. I'm more of a minute work guy. I was trying to. I was trying to think of the the song, "Land Down Under." I know what the breakfast. What do you say at Tiffany's? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now 
you guys you, made you, me breakfast. You're just throwing. Randy's talking about animal conservation and shit. You're over here. You're <laughs> you're pissing on the bare knuckle boxing scene. Me, I watched a fucking holiday movie because holiday. this is Hell yeah. Christmas Eve. Hey, I also saw Christmas Evil for you know, this very I'm show. A, I'm I also pre- watched Gremlins yesterday. Oh, <laughs> great soundtrack. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to keep going. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Dude, Gremlins got a great theme song. All right. Now, I watched the holiday movie, and I came here prepared to talk about Also, I did throw up a Twitter poll because I want to get back into covering box sets and, like, you know, having, um, I don't know, a more appointed thing. Also, I think I'm going to make a point of um, <laughs> reviewing the fucking screeners we're getting. When I was 10 years ago, all I wanted was movies, and I wanted people to be excited about me covering it. And now I'm here and I'm jaded and it's fucking stupid and I should be watching all of them. So I'm going to make an effort to do that next week. I think I'm going to cover the uh, art exploitation film, which I can never remember the title of. What is it, Randy? Beast clawing at straws. Yeah. It, when you get four words in there, I'm gone. Yeah. Well, and then uh, I have another Korean film from the box set that won the Twitter poll, which is uh, The Whispering Corridors. And I'll cover that next week. Anyway, this time it's Christmas Eve when this airs and I have a... Uh, holiday movie called control alt trick treat oh wait hold on <laughs> here the, the proper title is control plus alt plus trick slash treat now during the 2020 pandemic a group of friends spend halloween messing around with a ouija board over zoom oh, no. with the world online making a connection has never been easier can you please tell the listeners the uh the name of the writer director Oh, Harvard John. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you this movie. If you could see the poster right now, you would, uh, <laughs> you're either, you'd either be very excited because the poster tells you, uh, lower your expectations. <laughs> I don't think you could limbo under the bar that the uh, poster's setting up for you. We got a misfits mask. Dude. On? So we have, we have about like, I don't know, eight people all on laptops circled around a lit jack-o'-lantern. Now I'll tell you, it is a Halloween movie. I was doing a little thing. Lit as in he's had a good time. Oh, he's litty like a titty as our, uh, never say that (laughs) ever again. (laughs) That's our boy long neck. You remember that? (laughs) There you go. And, uh, I'll tell you at no point does a jack-o'-lantern make an appearance in this, but, uh, what we're dealing with is, um, not host it, uh, similar thing. We're on a zoom call. Uh, I, here's the big spoiler I'm going to give you. You know what? It's not bad. I actually, really? I enjoyed it. It opens up. Everybody's in costume because it's Halloween. And the first one we get is, uh, the, uh, the nun. Somebody's dressed up like the nun and they look really good. And I'll tell you, everybody in this film, they range from, from good to not bad. Like there's one guy who's got like kind of a lot. There's like a little gag with him at the end and he's not great. But dude, this movie, it works. Uh, the biggest problem, you can tell there's no money and they weren't, they weren't as resourceful as host. So we don't really get any kills. Now, also, this is not a feature film. It is. It's an hour long. Uh, on that here, says 29 minutes. On here, it says 20. It is 60 minutes long. Oh, why does it say 29? I don't know. I know and, or, and wait. What the hell? Russell just watched it twice. He didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> because when you open up the film, you fall into a uh, time loop. It's actually part of the narrative. 
<laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you, it's, pass. If you're a fan of um, in-world camera, like mm-hmm. we are, mm-hmm. I um, I recommend you watch it. Now, I don't know, I don't know how that film is available. Terrell brought it over, so yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe I should have done some research. Where did before. he procure? But I film? blew, all, I blew all my pre-production time talking to our guest, who was great, and. uh yeah, controlled. I, you know, I, I always come in here and I'm like, I want to talk about this film because I'm excited about it. But then I'm like, man, y'all should just watch it. It was pretty good. Well, how would we watch it? You said that I don't know. That's a good mysterious question. Mysterious Terrell mysteriously came over and mysteriously <laughs> injected this mysteriousness. I don't know. He comes over with uh, uh. So when normally on Fridays we do drag night. And we watch Catfish, which, holy shit. Episode- and by drag night, you mean drag racing. Drag race. Yeah, no. Hey. no, he brings a briefcase of wigs over and we like, you know, <laughs> turn, turn the front room into a runway. No, and uh, we, dude, episode 22 of the new Catfish, fucking good. I, holy shit. I, I hate, hate Neve. I hate Neve too. Yeah, he's awful. I didn't hate him before, but uh, he has a special place in a in-world camera narrative. I think he is a liar. I think his documentary is fake. He ruined the paranormal franchise. No, he didn't. It wasn't him. Uh, it he was, wasn't for? It was uh, the other dude. I think it was uh, the partner that's no longer on the show. And Paranormal 4. Mm, okay. Yeah, there were some problems there. Nah, it's, yeah, because it was created. And it uh, No, no, no. It, it Again, it helped out Ghost Adventures a lot. By introducing the infrared Xbox One thing, the Xbox One thing, you was cannot cool. take that away from us. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so Control Alt Trick or Treat. Uh, I don't know how to find it. Google it. Y'all are smart. <laughs> you can figure it out. But it's good. And again, if you've seen Host already, lower the expectations. But if you like the uh, the narrative stylings and the platform, yeah, it's same thing. Okay. Yeah. And Harvard John. So, so is the a whole cool thing name. is in camera. Yeah, it's all in okay. camera. They do a little bit of, um, remember when I was critiquing searching? Yes, and searching, as you should. Searching had that kind of like heavy hand guide where it's like zoom in in the corner because that's where we want you to look. Mm-hmm. They're not that bad, but it's a zoom call. And when they want you to listen to somebody in particularly, they'll, their screen will take up the whole frame. Gotcha. Which, I mean, I, you can do a zoom call where whoever's talking takes over. They clearly weren't doing that. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's minor, but yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, you would never know from that cover. Much like Shopping Tour, which I should mention, um, David Robson, San Francisco programmer, highbrow extraordinaire of film. Love that film. So really? if, you have, if you haven't checked out Shopping Tour, yeah, he um he heard the podcast and followed up and he called me and he said, dude, uh, the best thing about the movie is the relationship between the son and the mom, which I don't think I mentioned on the show. But it is very strong for and personal reasons. No, I, it's just <laughs> it doesn't occur to me. And I I know one of the don't biggest, tell your mom that, dude. Jeez. Well, actually, Hurtful. so in the interview with Brian, uh, I mentioned that uh, we're going to continue talking after the recording, mm-hmm. and we got into that. He said he doesn't watch a lot of found footage because he he sees a lot of the relationships are just terrible with the characters, and ultimately the characters become kind of flat. And that's a relic from the Blair Witch. Yeah. People seeing the Blair Witch and being like, oh, it's exciting to have all your characters implode. And it's really not. And uh, I think it, I think that aspect hurt found footage, like even to today. But um, movies like Webcast or like Shopping Tour, they really like at the center of the film, there's a good relationship. Shopping Tour on uh, Amazon Prime? It is. Okay. Yeah. So you can watch it. <laughs> yeah. You know what? If you can't find control, trick, treat. 
go watch a shopping tour. Also, again, control plus alt plus trick slash slash treat. Uh, we spent a little bit of time thinking why it's called this. Um, I think it's supposed to be a play on control delete. Yes, of course. Yes. But that's it. Like, I was like, it has to be more than that. Because it doesn't come up in the movie. It's not like they get yeah. away by control delete. Also, I found nowhere that says it's 60 minutes long. Really? It is. Oh, maybe, you know, maybe it's. No, it is. I watched. It. I'm going to tell you right now. I think it's 29 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> It's on foundfootagecritic.com and it says 29 minutes. <laughs> well, I know um, in our poor state of journalism today. Get Oksana in here right now. Why? So she can confirm if this was a half not, hour or 60 I'll minutes. I'll tell you, spoiler alert, she passed out in five minutes. All right, that's fair. And not because of the film, it's because she was inebriated. <laughs> and she got very mad at me because I kept trying to wake her up. Well, I will tell you, you guys uh, were quiet last night. Oh, dude. Oh, you know what I watched? I actually did watch a holiday movie today called American Exorcism. I'll be really quick. Yeah. If you're a horror fan and you uh, throw on a random film from Amazon Prime and a name like Bill Mosley pops up, it's instantly a bad sign. Oh, boy. And I know know horror fans feel that. And I did. I'm like, oh, no. This is one of those movies that tried to get a little bit of money out of Hollywood. And then they they attached the name and they said, now we'll make money. And then it kind of, that's it. Yeah, but it's chopped up. It's American Exorcism. And his name? And yeah, it is. Thank you. Yeah. And um and dude, it's a Christmas horror movie because it opens with a uh holiday party where um there's a weak ass Patrick Bateman clone oh. boning his secretary. Gavin Newsom. It's Gavin Newsom's in there and he's uh they're at the French laundry. Hey, wait a minute. Gavin Newsom. <laughs> oh, yeah. He deserves that. I thought how about, how about this? Brennan. Gavin Gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like I like Gavin Gruesome. I like Gavin Newsom. That's a good band name. I'm going to start that. Gavin Gr- dude, Gavin Gruesome is an excellent band. So, name. oh, actually, no, that's Gavin Newsom works because he was also cheating on his wife, who shows up with a shotgun, kills everybody in the party, and then you realize that the film. Oh no! Okay, so we were making a joke about the lookies earlier, and I was like, "Well, are we going to be like the wokies?" Like. Can a film only be nominated if we have like a POC as a lead or if it's a no, film- it has to be an AOC as a lead. <laughs> okay. I'm in. And uh, no, so the movie, after we leave the holiday party, it cuts to um, uh, a couple of ladies approaching and knocking on a front door of a house. And the first thing that happens is the door opens and the guy says, When they said they were sending sisters, I thought they meant nuns because uh, the two ladies are black. Nice. <laughs> or Brian De Palma. <laughs> no, they're not twins. And anyway, twins. And the answer, it's blood. And oh. I'm like, that's eh, I kind of liked it. Anyway, one of them dies, and the rest of the movie is about the skeptic sister who was not that good at doing an exorcism, who's now trying to remove the ghost from a building. For as convoluted and um, And this is a Christmas movie? It is, because it took place at Christmas, and when she goes back to the building where the uh, shooting happened, all the decorations are still up. It counts. There's a Christmas tree. Yeah, it works. Um, The third act gets really interesting, and it's a shame that there's 60 minutes, an actual 60 minutes of a kind of like trite indie horror that's just kind of boring. And you got Bill Mosley, and he's playing a bit part, and you're like, yeah, they probably had him for two days and, you know, yeah, I don't know. If you can make it through that film, 
the third act, they go for it. Okay. There's a lot of interesting set pieces and shit, and it's actually a Christmas movie. So I watch a Halloween and a Christmas movie. There you go. I also saw a Christmas movie that we talked, uh, that was recommended to us by our guest. So we talk about that in the interview. It's called American Exorcist. I was wrong. Oh, it was 2018. Yeah. I did. Oh my God, that cover. Oh my God, this cover. That cover is worse. Phil Mosley in the. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you got some time to kill, jump on Amazon Prime. All right. Well, um, enjoy the interview. Um, the elongated interview that we had uh, with our lovely guest, uh, Brian Lenano. Um, we had the extra, because this was the Christmas episode, we wanted to talk about Christmas films with our guest, and he brought three to the table. So uh, we do the normal interview part, and then we also talk about some holiday movies as well. So a little bit longer interview, but uh, you know what? This is our Christmas <laughs> gift to you. Yeah, I think our interviews are just becoming longer. We're just getting more comfortable with, I don't because know. Because you're getting longer-winded, bro. Well, this yeah. intro was a solid hour shorter than it <laughs> I was. I was prepared to do 30 minutes, but, you know, this is the nature of the beast. 30 minutes in our time is an hour. Yeah, so. that's fair. This would have actually been an Overlook hour. Oh, dang. <laughs> 29 minutes is an hour to wrestle anyway, so. Oh, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Randy's fucking I'm gonna tell you right now. Russell, that's not an hour long movie. It I has to be 29. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, but I'm the only frame of reference I have is when you hit pause and it shows you the timeline. Are you sure? You're No, convinced. I'm not. You y'all have <laughs> the ground is shaky now. Uh, Randy, in your research for this, did you find out where is it streaming anywhere? Um I couldn't find that. It yeah, it looks like it's very uh, hard to find. Yeah, okay. I don't know. It a lot of the times directors will hit up Terrell just to get like a plug on his Instagram. So he might have just brought it that way. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, right. Dang, I'm glad I brought up another movie that people could actually I don't know. watch. I, we have to do some investigative work here. Yeah, to find it's showing up on a bunch of like more. weird like free movie, go movies free websites. There's no like official site for it. Okay. Weird. Maybe it's haunted. Maybe it's going to control, <laughs> delete me out of life. Well, or maybe next week we sit down with Harvard John <laughs> Dude. and talk about his movie. Is it an hour? Is it a half hour? Let's find out. All right. Anything else? Uh, you want to wish our listeners a happy uh, whatever holiday they wish to celebrate within their own uh, domicile? Yeah. Happy holiday. I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing. All right. Well. Uh, enjoy Brian Lanano and uh, did you have music cue you wanted to go out with yeah I'm going to send it to Randy he's going to put it in okay there. perfect yeah it's probably playing right now <laughs> I hope it's not Gothic King Cobra which it is is it it's Christmas it's not Gothic <laughs> see you next week Merry yeah Christmas Brian, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. It's nice to meet you. My name is Clark, uh, one of the co-hosts of the show. Wow. Hey Clark, nice to meet you. Yeah, man. And then we got Russell over here, uh, who's already um, insulted you by not showing his face. <laughs> nice to meet you as well, Russell. <laughs> and then, um, so Oksana, who you've been uh, working with on the on the booking end, uh, she just has referred to you as William's daddy. So uh, that that is... Uh, that is essentially um, 
our, our relationship right now is that you are the father of William, who has uh, eked his way into each and every one of our hearts. That's wonderful to hear. Yes, I am. I've accepted that as my uh, my legacy. He's my legacy <laughs> for now. So how William. how how long have when did you give birth to William? <laughs> so uh, the idea of William came about uh, ten years ago, actually, okay. and it was uh, it started with a drawing that uh, my brother Kevin made and uh, he was just hanging out with me while I was working an overnight and he was like sketching this picture of someone's kid like at a desk and the drawing he did just was did not look like a kid it just looked <laughs> awful he had like bags under his eyes and he had these really terrible lips and but I loved the drawing because also one of his ears was like pointed but the other wasn't <laughs> um, so we uh we said, well, this, this, this is great. Like, let's give him a name. And, uh, we just thought that William was such a gross name <laughs> to say, like, even when you say it, it sounds like you, your gag reflex might kick in. Yeah. Like, William. <laughs> and it turns out that's actually a surname in the United Kingdom. And I was completely unaware. And when I was still on uh, Twitter, I would, I would occasionally like search for William and I would find people whose last names were William to be like, yo, there's this movie out about like a, a messed up goblin and <laughs> he's got our name and stuff. So <laughs> it upset some people. Russ, what did you refer to William as? What did you say he looked like? Oh, a hot ghoulie. <laughs> yes. I, I actually listened to that episode and I jotted that down. Hooli. I was a big fan of that. <laughs> um, Oh, Brian, so you, you know what you're getting into, huh? We, we, I did, yes. I, I uh, took a listen. Um, and it's funny because that episode, you had um, Lauren Ashley Carter, yeah, right? Yeah. As your guest. He got it right. And, I still uh, can't. <laughs> she is actually a fan of that film, uh, William. I think she's one of the few people who, like, like, she tweeted about it. And then, like, when I put it online... Like she made a comment. She's like, yes, I'm so happy. So like, that was really cool. Cause I, I remember her, I saw, I first saw her in that film, the woman. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it was cool to see like her be such a fan of the movie. You never know like who has seen your movie and, and what they think of it, you know, and, or who's a really big fan. So it's always like exciting to hear that people have seen my stuff and they, uh, they have a very strong visceral reaction to it, but at the same time, they like love it. So, yeah, it's great, and and, and, and Lauren's great, and um, you know, I, I think it's just a, a testament of where we are now, um, and uh, who the hell knows where we're headed. I mean, you know, with COVID and everything, I think that the whole online thing is just growing stronger. So, uh, you know, things are are getting more accessible. So it's it's all part of that. Well, but yeah, when did William come out? That was like five years ago, right? Yeah, so though we came up with the idea 10 years ago, we actually <laughs> shot it five years ago. So that film has still been like kicking around and people are still talking about it and still discovering it, you know, five, like five years uh, since it first premiered. And um, yeah, it's, it's really, really cool that people are still discovering it. I wish they would discover some of my other films, <laughs> but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't, we're definitely... I have, oh, I have 
bunch of them. Yeah. I've been making films for like 15 years and I don't think anybody knows that I've made anything before William, except perhaps Crowhand, if you've seen that. We're no, big, we're big fans of Crowhand. I think, I think your, oh, cool. your problem is that uh, you're a good writer and that uh, your films are technically like old school good. Like I think William breaks through to the internet era where you don't need to give a fuck about a film and appreciate how well that short is made. I mean, so the way we found William was we were watching Nightstream and it came up in the Ice Slicer block. And the only mm-hmm. reason Crowhand and William work in there is because you really can pair it with like a existential horror about like an indie drama where a girl's selling shit at an execution party, which is not campy in any way and very like yeah brutal like but it paired well with William because they're both so well made yeah and I mean even though wow. like the the tone couldn't be any more different where we see and I to be clear William makes a return in Ice Slicer right it's not the original short so the original short is in the first season of Ice Slicer episode oh. eight and it's the very first thing that plays in that episode. And then <laughs> when um, when they uh, decided they were going to have a second season um, and do a Halloween special, they reached out to me and asked if they could commission a new work. And I had this like other idea. I was like, oh, I have this movie about a guy whose nose is haunted and he changes out ghosts. And <laughs> he said, well, maybe... <laughs> They said, maybe, maybe we could do like a new, like William thing, like a quasi sequel or something. So I really didn't want to like sort of repeat what the first movie did. So I decided to like go in what I call the Gremlins 2 route, which is you make it completely cartoony and you add a little bit of the mythology, but don't answer. You leave more questions, but you like sort of answer some like, okay, so he has a whole house inside this garbage can and he was raised by his grandmother. <laughs> and that's, that's what we learn about him. Um, and also he has a lot of money. He's like, <laughs> there's a scene where he's like running by and there's just like hundred dollar bills all over the floor and he's not doing anything with them. So yeah, he's an interesting character. He does, He has become a bit like family. I try to be protective of him because a lot of people, you know, they want, more William stuff and like I don't want to just keep honing him out you know I want to have it be a good story and to do like another one that being said I wouldn't be opposed to doing a William Saves Christmas kind of <laughs> special yeah um, where he uh, he gives a present to Santa Claus <laughs> that sort of crossed my mind <laughs> I, I like how you've been almost typecasted as a Gwilliam director like everybody's demanding more Gwilliam and if, if you're listening yeah. right now and you haven't seen Gwilliam I've put it in the show notes I think for two episodes prior now and I'll do it again but watch it I our buddy Terrell he does a lot of Blu-ray reviews and uh, he came over with a friend and Gwilliam casually came up like it normally does in this house and uh, his his new uh, his new boy buddy I didn't want to call him a boyfriend that might be too close uh, was talking about how one time he was eating breakfast and Terrell just threw on Gwilliam and I'll tell you he didn't puke but he stopped eating 
And I'm sure, you know, I, I like to share these stories with directors because your film is living on out there. And um, I love that. I love hearing that. I appreciate it. I like when I like hearing that I ruined his record. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's a good test for a relationship because they're still together. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. true. <laughs> well, and it's a good litmus test. And um, right after Oksana was like, have you seen Crow Hand? So then we jumped right into another one of your films. Now, I think Crow Hand is, ooh, I mean, I think it's the easiest for a like casual horror fan to get into. But when we start getting into some of your other films, uh, mm -hmm. I, you're a pretty knowledgeable dude. And I have to commend you. There, what is that short you did? Um, oh, man. Was it Electrical Skeletal? No. There's one. Yeah. Well, that that is one of my films. Yes. It's the one. Okay, I think it is where there's like a generic biker rocker dude in a graveyard. Now, as yep. a um, yep. as a self-identifying metalhead, uh, whenever I see a metal exploitation film, I <clears throat> I'm always looking for authenticity, and I see that and I'm like, oh no, what are we doing here? And my God, some of the imagery you have in there. I think he's doing um snow angels in a pile of bones he makes yep. a drum yep. set out of uh foam skulls dude yeah how has nobody ever done that before it seemed like such a no-brainer I, I know that was so much fun gosh we shot that back in i think that was uh 2006 it was like a very cold weekend in october and uh, we shot them overnight, and that was so much fun filming, especially the uh, especially the drum solo scene. There's actually um, my my brother cut together like a compilation reel of like outtakes or like never before before seen takes of electrical skeletal, and the whole of the drum solo is is there, so you can watch, you know, the the process, and like you can you know it's that's really fun to watch because he's just doing this thing, and like the camera, I'm telling him to. What did I say? I say Hickadula, which was like a family guy joke where it goes like, woo, 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 it zooms in and out really fast, like back and forth. And he's like, I don't know what that is. And I was like, zoom out. And then, and then like fog started coming in and like he shook the camera a certain way. And I said, do that again. And then we caught this like magical scene where he like smashes the drum set. And, and uh, I was so happy to catch that. Uh, that was, that was, that was a good time. Yeah. It and again, these these films are short films. There's not a lot of commitment here, and I'll, I'll link them all. But can you can you tell me a little bit about how you met up with Ice Slicer? I'd never heard of them before, but that block they did in um, Nightstream I thought was amazing. Uh, so uh, the first Ice Slicer was done by Dan Schoenbrunn and Vanessa McConnell. Dan is now Jane. Um, so I'm think they're, I think they might be working on the second season now, or they might start prepping the third season, but, uh, Gwilliam played at the first Gwilliam played at the 2016 Slam Dance Film Festival and the South by Southwest Film Festival. And I think that's when Dan at the time reached out to me and asked if I would be a part of this whole, uh, show that they were putting together. And there were a lot of great filmmakers that they were like putting together and uh it, it's funny when that movie when i came out with gwilliam and all of a sudden it was playing at these very big places it felt like i like 
finally got in at the cool kids table or something. Cause I was like, you know, meeting all these great talented filmmakers. Cause among the people invited to be part of ice slicer is like David Lowry, who was supposed to come out with the green Knight this year yeah. and did a ghost yeah. story. And, and then uh, Ari Aster who did uh, hereditary and midsummer had a short, a fantastic short film called the strange thing about the Johnsons. And uh, there was just a lot of great, filmmakers that were invited to be part of it and i felt like wow they they let me in and i'm like the real like low no budget weirdo you know filmmaker because i was making films about like you know skeletons attacking metalheads in a graveyard made of like foam headstones and like i was doing killer robot movies and then i don't know something struck a chord with uh uh, william really struck a chord with people for some reason (laughs) they really uh they really liked it. I mean, it's very, what's, what's funny to me is like William to me is about like guilty pleasures. You know, I always go with the story of like, I go to the grocery store and I see Nutella and I'm like, well, I love Nutella, but if I buy that jar, that will be gone, you know, in maybe a, a couple of days and I'm going to feel awful because I'm going to eat it by this. It's going to be very very awful scene and you're disgusted with yourself and you feel all the shame and guilt. But you know, when you go back to the grocery store, you're like, mm, the Nutella is still on sale or something and you want to go back and get it. So that's sort of like the, the, you know, analogy with the uh, William is the guy is encounters this thing. He's repulsed. Then he's into it, but he's also disgusted with himself. But then he like calls him at the end. And uh, so it begins this like, sort of like tryst of, like doing something and then feeling bad and going back to do it again. You know, I think when I was at Q and A's for the festival, you know, people are always, you know, they always want to be funny and they're like, what's the matter with you? Why would you come up with this? And blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I just wanted to make a film that, you know, everybody could relate to. And now, I just sort of. <laughs> I, now, and I think your genius, it comes in with the way that you present that end scene. It's not just, you know, cut, he's in a hotel and he calls William. It's he takes a shower and he gets in bed and um God bless William. Uh, how do you say his last name? Tokarski. Tokarski. I mean, I think he looked as pretty as he ever has in that moment. <clears throat> yes. Oh, excuse me. And um and then, you know, th- we get we get to linger there for a moment and see it He's working through it in his head and he ultimately gives in. And mm-hmm. I think the best thing is we've shown it to several people. Now they're always like, why does he call him back? And it, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an answer. You don't want to just give somebody. Is yeah. Like, well, I mean, maybe he enjoyed a bulging out of the back of his head. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it felt really, really good. And he wants to pursue something, you know, he wants to make, you know, turn it into something more. I don't know. I always uh, had the idea because the end of the the end of the movie has this like something dance music over the credits, and in my mind, it was never like explicitly conveyed in the film. But I always like thought in my mind that their first date was they go out dancing. Oh, I in my so mind that's, that's the techno song. <laughs> see, no, no, see, in my in the movie playing out in my head, I thought after the end credits, the music. I thought it represented like I'm going out again and I'm going to have a couple drinks and I'm going to hit up William. But I imagine that, you know, if he were looking for something more, William would shut him down. And I thought William had turned down a bunch of people. Like, I'm just like, like, like William's a, uh, 
he's a hot ghoulie. He's got a long <laughs> list of dudes, and I imagine he, he only gets rid of them after they get uh, feelings. It's yeah. yeah. It's, what's uh, it's sort of like um, there was an SNL skit that that uh, was they had a series of them that came out like many years ago. Chris Kattan played this person, Mango. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so and he always like attracted these like handsome celebrities and they were like couldn't they, they couldn't get mango out of his head and that sort of like idea was in my head regarding William is that yes William has many gentlemen callers and you know people who want to pursue him more even the inmate at the beginning you know it's sort of that cycle where he's letting him know go to this place because it's going to be great and the way he sort of like looks up and like he's like best it's because he's he's seen he's he's encountered William before so it's not like overtly there but it's sort of subtly there is that he was he's he was a previous uh gentleman who pursued William <laughs> dude how did how did you get William attached um I uh well when too many cooks had come out and was like a huge hit I think it was 2014 and we had just finished post-production and was sending crow hand out to festivals so i just messaged him on facebook because i think he was friends with an actor that i had used in a short i made called welcome to dignity pastures uh-huh. and uh i like the way william looks he has a very unique look and um he was just in this really huge viral hit of too many cooks so i just messaged him on facebook and I asked him, like, you know, would you be open to meeting? I have this uh, idea that I would love to make with you. And we met and I gave him the script and he read it and he said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> like no arguments or no, you know, um, sort of like apprehension. There was some apprehension from some of my collaborators. But I told him, like, this is what we're doing next. And he, they're like, are you sure you want this to be next? <laughs> and at that point, I think it was the right time to, to jump on that. But, yeah, uh, William was a real trooper. Um, I'm very happy that he was a part of the project. And he was very easy to work with. He, he let me know right, ahead, right away that he doesn't act. He takes direction. Oh. So, so I had to keep that in mind. because. You know, sometimes when you're like with an actor, you're trying to get something out of them or whatever. So in the in, in in certain cases with me, I had to think of a way to like give him a direction. So there's actually a a YouTube video on my YouTube page where I took a that specific scene of him in the hotel bedroom, and I think uh, we run through the scene and we we get it blocked and stuff. And then I the direction that I give him is I want him to pretend that he's like a 12-year-old girl who uh, gave their number to a guy, a boy that they liked, and they said they were going to call, so now you're like eagerly waiting for the call. So, and he sat there for a minute, and he said, okay, yeah. And then, um, and then we did the scene, and yeah, he nailed it. It was, it was great. Dude, my, my favorite part of uh, the Gwilliam saga was just the first time I looked it up, on YouTube and after watching it again, I, uh, I scroll through the comments, which all good YouTubers do. And the first one is William. 
And he's just saying, I accepted this script while I was drunk. <laughs> Accept yeah. no responsibility. Yeah. Dude. That, that's classic William Shtick. He's, uh, <laughs> he's always doing jokes like that. How is he in real life? Does he give off like a uh, unhinged vibe? Or does he just have a perfect look to play that character? He has a perfect look to play that character. He's a very, he's a very nice guy. Um, and uh, he's sometimes like, he's sometimes like talking with a parent, you know, when you have to explain something to a parent. Cause I think he was also on that show. Your pretty face is going to hell. Yeah. And he had to be very specific that it was airing, you know, uh, Sunday night, but he kept saying it was Monday morning at midnight because he didn't want to say Sunday at midnight. Cause he's like, but then they're going to think it's Saturday. <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> well, you did so change your name like, to Gwilliam. Yes, I did. <laughs> so there was uh, there was things like that, um, you know, that when interacting with him. Um, but you know, he's a he's a a real pleasure, and I'm so happy that after Gwilliam, like he's he was in like a few other shorts, but then he showed up in that Jumanji film, and he's been getting work, and I think he's part of the Screen Actors Guild now because when I got him, he wasn't part of it yet. I mean, he has his own like kid robot figurine of him from Too Many Cooks. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome! Really, really cool. I mean, he has secured himself in the pop culture lexicon, and I was very happy to nag him when I did, you know, for for our film. Uh, so, Brian, give us a little background on um, on your film background of uh, how you started, because I'm looking here at your IMDb, and you told us, you know, you, you've made a bunch of shorts over the last 15 years, you said, and looks like that uh, you're, you're making your living through uh, edit editorial department on uh, many different TV projects and, and films. So how did you really did you get your start? Um, so I went to school uh, in New Jersey, a school called Fairleigh Dickinson University, and that's where I met a lot of my uh, friends who are still my friends and collaborators on uh, on on my projects um there was a great guy there his name is vincent k guagenti and he showed me all the right movies uh to watch he showed me all kinds of vincent price movies he showed me all the b movies that really like created the aesthetic that I became obsessed with uh with my films because there's a certain like theatrical um artificial aesthetic to to a lot of my work yeah. but specifically my earlier work and some of my some of my later work i know that despite its absurd premise like william is kind of grounded in reality but there were definitely a few shots in the film where he's like against the black void and that's like a classic thing that i saw in b horror movies all the time and german expressionism and stuff like that so he showed me a lot of great work he showed me a lot of great music um and uh so then i graduated in 2005 and i was still making short films while I was like trying to find work. Uh, and eventually I started doing like assistant edit work and that flipped into doing dailies processing and daily supervising. So that's what I do now. So on my TV page, you'll see that I worked on movies like get out and I worked on the HBO Watchmen series. And that was me supervising the dailies processing for those, for those particular movies and TV shows. So while I do that, I still make films. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. I've been very content, like making the films I've been making, and uh, still having a, a job to like you know pay the bills and to help pay you know for movies that I want to buy or supplies that I need for my projects. It's been it's been a nice like balance, 
And, uh, you know, sometimes when I was younger, I was like waffling, like, oh, should I try and do this full time? But I became so happy with the stories I was able to tell so freely that if I were to try to make stuff in the the system or whatever, I just feel like I would be met with so much, um, you know, so many obstacles to try and like tell the stories that I want to tell. Um, as, uh, you know, they're obviously very unusual. And, <laughs> so, and uh, I don't know if you've guys seen the, uh, another film that I did. It was, it's, it's not exactly a trilogy, but there's like three movies that I made back to back. There was Crowhand, there was William, and then there was some um, BFF girls. And I don't know if you've guys, have seen that I've not seen BFF girls. I have gone back through your channel and checked out most of it though. I'm going to make a note. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, all of my stuff pretty much is available for free on my Vimeo page or, or you could just go right to my website, uh, and all the stuff is there, but there's a few that are like on demand, um, that you have to like rent. Um, but, uh, BFF girls is one of them. Oh, rad. No, I'll definitely check that out. So, but uh, so, Brian, to, for all of our listeners who may not have um, an, an intimate knowledge of of how TV projects and and, and film projects work, what exactly um, are dailies, and, and what are your responsibilities with those? So, dailies is this like strange membrane in between production and post production. We are the ones who take what they shoot on set, we convert it into a file that the editors then work with and we apply any kind of color correction that need, that was done on set and we sync the sound and then we create these uh, these files that the editors can start working with. And we also create like uh, viewable dailies like on a website that they that we upload to and then like executives in Los Angeles can watch them and stuff. So that's that's what we do. So you're like the, the sheriff of purgatory. Yes. <laughs> I like it. No, that's, what we, that's what that's what my um that's what it says under my business. <laughs> now, is that job like, are you really making raw footage more palatable for people who don't know how to look at raw footage or are you actually creating something that's later going to be used? Well, it will be used by the editors, but eventually there'll be an onlining process where they take their, their edits and they create a file called an edit decision list. And then they go and they scan and find the original files and then, uh, you know, put them on a timeline. So all the original files that were shot are now viewable by the final colorist and the final conform editor. And then they can like put the movie together. So that way when it, you know, goes out in the theaters, it looks like as pristine as possible because the files that we make are like a small kind of proxy file compared to like a final um, you know, uh, or a camera original file. So for instance, it's not out yet, but um, I supervise dailies for the Halloween film that's coming out next. It was supposed to come out this year, but oh, it's rad. and uh, they shot on a very uh, expensive camera as most feature films do. And it shoots a certain kind of raw format that are like image sequences. And then we take that, we process it. We make small avid files, for the editor, and then the avid, the editor takes their edit decision list, brings it to the conform facility, and then they take, you know, the original files that they shot and bring them online and do final color and stuff like that. That's just sort of like a very basic overview of of uh, the post production process nowadays on films. Now I have to ask, 
So you got Gwilliam in like South by and you're talking, it, it kind of felt like it snuck in. And now you're working on set in real like film, but you're kind of like a middle post-production dude. Do you get, like, do people give you the vibe of like, oh, you're still making short films. That's cute. Like, is there ever a like talking down to this middleman kind of guy going on? Well, I don't normally tell like the, the pizza <laughs> filmmakers that I do films myself. Um, but, uh, sometimes in the film community, like filmmakers themselves could have like, it's not necessarily like an intentional putting down, but they basically asked me like, so when are you going to finally make a feature? And, you know, I have tried to develop, um, some of my short films into features, but the reality is like, I saw them as short films. I completed them as short films and there's not much left that I really want to tell. <laughs> so there were a, a number of projects that I considered developing into features uh one was attack Azoids, which is was this uh, killer robot movie that i did uh, another was martian precursor about a homeless man who was tormented by transmissions from the planet mars um and then uh one was crow hand maybe but i really didn't i really i made a joke that like <laughs> the feature would just be the feature would just be like the first two minutes of crow hand and then the rest of it is him just going through his normal life, but with a crow hand. So it's like very. <laughs> I'm down. Because I don't know. I don't know what else. Like, I don't really want to, like, give away the mystery of, like, where did the crow totem come from and this and that? Because it's like, well, that loses all of its mystique. But the whole point is every now and again, you look down on the ground and there's some weird thing on the ground and you want to pick it up because it looks cool. And somebody's like, don't pick it up. It's dirty or whatever. You don't know where it's been. And, you know, in this instance, it's like, ah, no, what's going to happen? And Crohan is actually partly a true story because I really did find <laughs> that looks like this. And obviously, like when his hand transforms into a crow, that's where it gets into fiction. But <laughs> um, but the first half of it where a person looks down on the ground and they see this thing and it looks like a crow. And uh, my wife said, don't pick it up. It's really creepy. It turned out to be this keychain that was a tie in for a, a game called Bioshock. Yeah. I had no idea. To me, it looked like a chess piece um, that looked like a crow, and but it was actually a keychain. And uh, so I just thought it was cool and made a whole movie based around it. And what's funny is that incident of finding the, uh, the, the piece happened at the Florida Film Festival uh, back in like 2013. And a year later, the movie played and somebody came up to me and they said, that story you told about the, the thing you found in the parking lot, that was my keychain. Oh. No. And I said, do you want it back? Uh, <laughs> and, and, but, uh, but when we were doing the festival run for Crowhand, which also played at South by Southwest, to be honest, that's the one that feels like we snuck in to the big festival. I don't even, I don't, I'm so grateful that uh, Claudette from the, South by Southwest, like, decided to accept the crow hand to play. Um, so, well, it's it's anyway. great. It's it's like a little stick of dynamite. You know what I mean? It's The thing with yeah. shorts is that sometimes they can overstay their welcome. Crow hand does not do that. Like, you get there, and then the punch happens, and then it's over. Like, yeah. that's, yeah. It, that's a beautiful it's thing. Yeah. Yep. It's like sometimes they call them, like, palate cleansers, you know, at a festival. <laughs> like, there could be, like a really heavy, disturbing short film, and then there's Crowhand, and then there's, like, the final short. So yeah. That definitely was the case. Like, 
it was really cool to be in that block because um, the directing team, Daniels, who did Swiss Army Man, had a short that played the, in that block, and like they were there, so that means they saw Crow Hand. And there was another, um, there was another movie made by a, a brother. I think they're Australian brothers. It was called Bagman, and they wound up like adapting that into a feature, which came out that had James Franco in it. I think it was called Kin. It's like about a, a like a kid who finds like an alien laser or something like that. I don't oh, know if you remember that movie. yes. Yeah, so they made a short called Bagman, and then they adapted that into a feature. So it's like cool to see. Oh, that it's cool that that you know they they did that. But I remember them saying like we weren't thinking about like adapting it into a feature, but now I guess we will. And I think I always just sort of fought against that idea. Like anytime I started to world build an idea I had, I immediately lost interest. So I was like, I've already told the story I wanted to tell. Like, I don't need to do anything more with this, including William. I've actually gone back and forth a lot about whether or not I should do a William feature. I feel like that's what everyone else wants to happen, yeah. but not necessarily me. Um, the one thing I really thought about elaborating was BFF Girls, because the way that short is modeled is it is it's basically like an episode of a season of this show that's just plucked out and it's its own self-contained thing because it's basically like sailor moon only there's like a tampon monster and a really perverted <laughs> puppet wizard and there's like this um very uh um over dramatic like villain with this like long gray silvery hair and a cape and stuff it's a lot of fun yeah i so thought I, I thought about like So I thought the natural progression after seeing your second William short would be that you would tie together all these short films you've made prior with a William wraparound. I feel like you could have your cake and eat it too that way where people shut up and they're like, here's William, but. Yeah, I have actually thought about that uh, recently this past year. Um, The idea of doing like a mixtape of my films and having him be a sort of like Crypt Keeper, because I thought about bringing him back for a couple of different things. Like, I wanted to make like a policy trailer for some independent movie theaters that starred <laughs> William, you know, as a sort of gift to them to be like, you know, when we can all go back to the movie theaters and feel safe again, that like he's like welcoming you back. But like, I don't know if they want that. Um, I also would love to shoot William. <laughs> I'd also love to shoot William on film, um, you know, just to sort of immortalize him on celluloid. But uh, and then, of course, you know, there's the joke of William saves Christmas, because I thought it would be a cool idea to have like William holiday decoration, like an ornament to put on your tree. I think that would be like a good collectible to have. But I, I'd have to look into how much that actually would cost. Um, He'd have to but, be a tree uh, chopper. Yeah, that, that is, it's like in the nativity little manger. Because I, I think I think William um, would love sitting on a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of thought that I've put into who he is and what he is about. And I think he is somebody who gives that and does not receive. Oh, he's a giver. I've he's seen him receive. <laughs> yeah. um, because like back when I was sort of like talking about like um, developing it into a feature, like, we, there were some like funny scenes that, that we thought about. And uh, 
one of them is like that the person who's like infatuated with him is trying to reciprocate, you know, and he like doesn't he doesn't want it because he doesn't have anything. Yeah. He's like a Ken he's like a Ken doll. I can't get you said Gwilliam on film, and all I can think of is fucking Duran Duran. With Gwilliam on <laughs> film. It's going through my head. <clears throat> okay, now you got something? Well, we need we need to to pivot. I know, and I, before we went into like John Waters territory, because I think that's an easy pivot. Yeah, I wanted to ask about your. Uh, are are you a Star Wars fan, Brian? Uh, yeah. Well, um, I really love like the original three films, and I think I had a period of mourning after the rise of Skywalker, and uh, so I'm not I'm not as into the Star Wars films as of late. Uh, but I really love the first three films from the seventies and eighties. I think they're fantastic. Now I've, I've talked at nauseum about star Wars on here because I'm one of those, uh, troubled star Wars fans. I think where I'm at now, the original three, which I mean, you know, four, five, six, I, I really like them, but I, man, I really like the prequels and I know I'm weird for that, but I, there's something about children movies about a Senate that I'm just really into. <laughs> and even, even the new trilogy I I'm really into the first two, and I think um, the Last Jedi may be my favorite now of all of them. And mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. want to see the the Force, like the religion, come undone. And I I I went into this pretty long. Where when I when I saw the Rise of Skywalker, I did it in one of those uh, what the hell are they called? Like the D experience or something? D box. I saw it in D box where your chair rumbles around. And I, oh, the 4D. The yeah. 4D yeah. Oh, I fucking okay. hated it. Didn't you turn yours off? I turned it off. <laughs> and it, <laughs> well, the thing was, it's like people would grab a rope and it would rumble your chair. Dude, you pay like 15 extra bucks for that. Yeah, but I'm the I'm the type of nerd who I like to pay attention to the angles you're using to capture crow hand. And I'm like, you know, this works because he's not scared of that green screen. And I mean, obviously, you work with dailies. Dude, you have an eye for aesthetic and you know what you're doing. Uh-huh. And uh, I wish I could say the same about the newest Star Wars movie. And I was I was smitten when I saw you made a short about it. Can you can oh, you with the Emperor? Yeah, is that what you're talking? Yeah, about? yeah. Where did that come from? Well, that came out of my frustration with that <laughs> final movie. Like it just felt like like the, let's say okay. So the Force Awakens pretty pretty good. It did what it had to do. It got people like into star wars again because i know there's a lot of like hate for the prequels yeah i don't hate the prequels but i don't think they're great i i wish they were great because it is an interesting uh thing that he was trying to do but um force awakens definitely felt like hey remember when star wars was like this and uh i liked certain things about the last jedi like i really liked the idea of like you know um what Ryan Johnson was trying to do, but I think he, he didn't go far enough with them. Like it felt like he was like, you can, you can dip your toe in, but we can't like fully commit to this kind of thing. And then there was just some things I thought were, were ridiculous and, and stupid. And, uh, and then the rise of Skywalker was just an absolute train wreck uh, to me. And it wasn't like I was angry after the movie. I was genuinely like sad because I was like, man, <laughs> they had, the keys to the kingdom. They had all the money that they could. They had all the resources. They had a fantastic cast, you know, like, and this is what they came up with. And they just took a and shit. I just, <laughs> I just, 
I just felt so disappointed. Like as a filmmaker, I felt like so frustrated because like you guys could have done such an incredible job and, and you didn't, I think, you know, personally, I've said this, uh, like I've had discussions about this, like not on podcasts, but, um, <laughs> what I would have thought was, was, would be great is like the character of Finn could be both Finn and Ray, you know? Like, I love the idea of, like, a, a person who was a, forced to become a stormtrooper to, like, leave that and rise up to become, like, the leader of the resistance that would topple this threat. You know, I think that's a great hero's journey, you know? They don't have to just do what they did with the last one, you know? Like, there's just so many things in The Rise of Skywalker that I just hate. Like, I'm the spy. Like, that's that's a line in the script. I <laughs> Like, like I like stupid dialogue in my films, but like they're supposed to be stupid. That was supposed to be like <laughs> taken seriously, and uh, I don't know. And then just bringing back the emperor just felt like this hail mary effort oh, because yeah. Snoke died. What what I thought would have been another cool thing is if the first order wasn't so imperial already. What I really liked about the Watchmen series that came out um, last year. Did you guys watch that? Loved it. Yeah, it's great. Um, they, I liked the, that the, the threat in that was some kind of like ragtag terrorist group. And I yeah. thought the First Order could be an interest. Like, it would be more interesting if they didn't have like Star Destroyers already. They had a ragtag where they were able to like hijack a ship and that's like now we have a ship and we can go get another ship and something and like build up or they they do something very excuse me they do something very big in the force awakens and that attracts the attention of somebody like snoke who would like well i have all this money and i can give you money for ships and stuff like that you know i thought that would be an interesting thing as opposed to just being empire two it could be like the rise of a potential new empire threat so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I um when I started doing that morning zoo thing, I God, it's gotta be a few months ago. I, I played a clip of Daisy Ridley describing what it was like on set, and I, I forget who she was interviewing. She did she was talking to the guy who did the voice for uh Olaf, right? The snowman. I forget who that guy's name is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Josh I guess they're they're homies. And um she just described it as, you know, they didn't know what they were doing until they got on set and they had the new rewrite that day. So I think, you know, you saying that you write dumb lines. The thing is, you you have a vision, though. <laughs> it's yeah. it's not. Yeah, that's not like. Yeah, well, I mean, J.J. Abrams truly is a bad robot. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good. Good job. there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But now <laughs> I'm sorry when I want to go back to Emperor. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just I when I saw your short on there, it was so out of it. So you have a broad range of um, mood and uh, the way your films look. And uh, that film stood out. And I mean, I was looking at your personal YouTube page. So you had like outtakes in there. I think uh, my favorite one I saw was the Attackazoids logo. You just, you, yeah, yeah. you threw up, you playing with like mist and fire and, and then there was that weird Star Wars Palpatine one and it just felt full of like hate. 
And I'm like, what a what better way to film a Palpatine action figure than a short actually motivated by hate? So I, I just had to bring it up. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yes, it was motivated by frustration. And it just that whole thing in that movie of having all those Star Wars, it literally just felt like kids playing Star Wars. And like one kid doesn't want to follow the rules. And he's like, I'm all the Sith and I have 50,000 Star Destroyers <laughs> and I'm going to get you, you know? And it just like, it just felt like this isn't written. This isn't written. This is like JJ Abrams and Chris Terrio sitting on the floor with a bunch of Star Wars figures. And they're like, so what do we do? <laughs> now, uh, this being um, the episode that is going to come out uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, Brian, we, we gave you the extra responsibility of uh, bringing some holiday horror uh, films to the uh, to the table, uh, which you suggested three, and then based off what I can see from your uh, T-shirt, I believe is that a uh, Christmas Evil T-shirt? You, yes, it is. Which I just watched for the first time <laughs> last night, so I think that's a, that's oh, a good. Um, yeah. Now, Russell, you you've told me about this a while ago. Russ, you've known about Christmas Evil for a while, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're we're out here in the Bay Area. And John Waters, I think annually would do a, a holiday talk. And he, you, I'm sure you know, Brian, he loves the hell out of Christmas evil. And actually earlier, I, I hadn't, oh God, I had a segue that I was going to try and tie in his new, John Waters' new favorite film, Butt Boy, who um, yeah. we talked to Tyler, the director on the show. And I wanted to pitch to you, Butt Boy, because I think you'll appreciate it. Earlier when you were talking about turning one of your shorts into a feature, that guy made a short that was what a minute long. Yeah, what the hell was the short even about? Like he's a dude putting his like stuff in his butt. Yeah, turned it into a feature, and it became that, that is a stone cold <laughs> procedural. It's played straight the whole way through. And you want to talk about making something dumb but with intent? And I think you could do it. Like Tyler did it, and it I I fought watching that movie because of the title for so long and now i love it and john waters does so i yeah i just think you have the potential to be the new john waters fan favorite oh uh, well that that would be incredible actually <laughs> uh, I, I i did see that he uh that he mentioned that movie and i know about that movie because a short that i made this year played before butt boy at motel x which is a genre fest in portugal oh wow. and the uh the, the movie i made that played before it is called the devil's asshole. And it also has to deal with oh. an anal fixation. <laughs> All right. Is that available? Can we see that? Um, I, uh, it is not available yet. Um, it may be available soon, but I'm actually not, I can't talk about it just yet. Okay. <laughs> um, there may be, there may be a future home for that movie somewhere. Um, and, uh, once, once, uh, that's firmed up, I'll definitely let you know, but I, uh, let me, if I may just talk about the devil's asshole a little bit, we <laughs> made that last year as part of a, uh, uh, one of those like timed film competitions, like a 48 hour film challenge, but it sure. wasn't a 48 hour film challenge. It was done in 13 days for my friend Blake's, uh, film fest in Georgia called the buried alive film festival. And, uh, so the rules of that. Uh, game or that challenge are you draw a horror subgenre out of you know a hat and we got demon devil hell and then you have to draw a subject card from cards against humanity and you could pull one but if you don't like it you have to you know you could put it back and you could pull another card but once you 
get that, you have to do that card. So we got the first card we got, I wasn't too into, and then we put it back and we pulled the next one. And the card we pulled up was the LGBT community. So I, I said, okay, so we have to <laughs> come up with an idea involving Demon Devil Hell and the LGBT community. So, and we had 13 days to make this film. So what we wound up doing was a story about a woman cooking a pot of chili for an LGBT community chili cook-off and breakdance competition in time for Halloween. And she comes across a spice in her cupboard called the devil's asshole. She puts too much in and she <laughs> summons a demon. And the demon has a very uh, major anal fixation that he's in denial about. Brian, I thought you just said you couldn't talk about this short. <laughs> I, uh, I can't talk about where it's going to be, okay. but I can talk about the story all I want. Because, okay. <laughs> so, so we made this film and we did it in 13 days and it played the competition. We won runner up, which is fine. But usually, you know, like I like to have my films out there, you know, playing film festivals. But, but this year was so strange because of COVID but there definitely were a few like virtual screenings and um, but then we got like an international premiere at most LX and it played before butt boy. And then most recently um, it was part of the, the Joe Bob Briggs haunted drive-in event oh, yeah. wow. that happened. So the devil's asshole got to play on Halloween night at the Rose bowl. Wow. The stupid movie that we made for in 13 days, you know, and, uh, it was, that, that was great. So I was really excited about, about that, about that right now. There's no upcoming festival screenings. I think it just played in Brazil and they actually asked me to like film an intro and they were like, we love your film. It's funny. And our president has an anal fixation too. Ha <laughs> ha you know? <laughs> so I was like, sure, I'll record a video about the devil's asshole. That's cool. But you uh, played the Rose Bowl, man. That's cool. It's, you're like the Ohio state Buckeyes. I know there's like all these like little milestones and merit badges that I, that I've had in my career, which is like, I'm so happy, like with my whole like filmmaking career, there's all these little things that have happened. And, you know, it's like, I, I don't, I, this is not confirmed, but someone told me that like, it's possible Drew Carey saw William. (laughs) I don't know, but uh, it's really exciting to think about what Drew Carey thought when he watched William. Um, Maybe could get you on the and, prices uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that would that'd be great. I'll make it worth his while. I'll bring the William puppet. Oh, <laughs> that'll boost the ratings right back up. Right. Exactly. The price is right. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brian, I, I asked Oksana to reach out and see what uh, your favorite holiday horror movies were. And I believe the three you came back with were a uh, Christmas evil, which is why I told Clark he, he needed to watch it. Bloodbeat, yep. which is a that's a that's a weird one to pick. And uh yeah. I am I now, Russell, you stared me away from Bloodbeat. I didn't think you would like it. I personally love Bloodbeat. It's it's challenge one, accepted. It's one of those films that's so um disorganized and strange that it like falls out the bottom of like a poorly made film and comes on top of like, this is high art. And I, yeah, yeah, I totally stand by that. Now blood beat. Is that like a, a cop on a beat? Is this, is this, Brian, a, you want to take is this a cop drama? <laughs> 
Here, I actually, I have the, the Blu-ray so you can look at it while he, uh. Oh, I'm out. Yeah, Brian, you want to set that up? The cover is not very, take, take the slip off. Vinegar Syndrome yeah. put out a beautiful Blu-ray. Do you, do you have yeah. it, Brian? I, I have, I have all three of my picks on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. They're all Vinegar Syndrome releases, but, um, but yeah, Bloodbeat, I came across a couple of years ago and I had heard about a, a horror film involving a samurai set at Christmas. And, um, and then, you know, as I'm watching it, it's like set in Wisconsin and it's getting more and more strange when you find out that the director is French Yeah, and he came to Wisconsin to make this film, but he edited and did the special effects in Paris. So, so he became very intriguing to me. So I actually watched this film not once, but twice this week. I watched it once, like just to watch it again and to revisit it because there's a lot of like wonderful choices and uh, intent. And then I watched it again with the commentary, which is in French. So you have to read the subtitles uh, as, as, it's, uh, as the movie is going. And he's such a fascinating like director, everything he did like had a, a point and like chose this. Like he's like, I, I really wanted this Prokofiev music. And like this scene in the kitchen is so important because American kitchens are like such a important thing to me and this and that. And like everything he did, like there was a, there was a reason it was there. And he, it was, he really felt like um, serious about it and committed to about it. And and but what's in, it's in service to is this really bizarre movie involving a samurai ghost terrorizing a family in Wisconsin around Christmas, and um, it reminds me. He reminds me a bit of myself and like the things that I do in my films. It's like oh, you know, for example, going back to Crohan, it's a very small detail that nobody really notices, but the man is wearing a taco shirt and the woman is wearing a shirt with pineapples on it, and the whole thing in my the back was. Those characters are on their way to a food shirt themed party and they're running late. And that's why she's upset with him. <laughs> what, that Okay. Damn. You ended with that. Now I'm, I'm distracted. I, so, oh man, I love watching films that are confusing at least um, unless you give them like a, a very deserved uh, focus and attention that a lot of people just can't spare anymore. And, uh, I find myself upset whenever, um, oh, whenever like a YouTuber, somebody will make a, um, explained video and I really hate it when they ruin the enigma. Now, does the commentary help the, the screening of the film or does it kind of like take away the mystique? It, it does not, it, it doesn't add anything as far as like, um, like why there's a samurai okay. or anything like that. It, it doesn't, he doesn't go into that. It's basically, there's also like a really great 17 minute interview with him on there. And what it says is that he is just a big fan of like things like star Wars and comic books, like Marvel comic books. And he wanted to like, he just thought like, let me make a horror movie because those sell or something like that. And his father's like a producer and a filmmaker himself. So, um, so I think he was just trying to make his own weird, like sort of mythology tale about like this family and their relationship to this, you know, samurai and stuff like that. And uh, I just, I just made me love him and love the film even more because he's got all these ideas. And I'll say that like, it doesn't succeed. And because it's very <laughs> like, 
interesting and people are like, what the hell is, why is there a samurai in the middle of Wisconsin? You know, it doesn't answer anything like that. But I truly love that he had, I, I, I try not to use this term a lot, but I do bring it up often when it comes to movies like Bloodbeat is that I feel that this is done by like a visionary filmmaker, somebody who like has this idea and it is so specific and it is like, he knows exactly what's like what the world is and like what he wants to do and like how he wants to shoot it and stuff like that. You know, there's few, you know, I would say there's few like actual mainstream filmmakers that are considered visionaries. Um, in my opinion, uh, because my wife and I are also really into what's called visionary art and outsider art, which is done by like folks who are um, naive in their uh, skills as painters. And they're also, they also tend to be very like religious. So they have like these visions and then they paint them. So there's a guy in Georgia and his name is um, Howard Finster. He's, he's passed away a long time ago, but we're fans of his work. And he made like, he was very prolific. And there's uh, Mary Proctor, who's another uh, woman who does a lot of like what's called visionary or outsider folk art. And I, that's how I see a movie like Bloodbeat. It's like visionary. He sees it. He sees it in his mind's eye. It doesn't quite stick the landing, which I totally understand because I have visions of, of my stories and they don't quite wind up being the way I intended them to look or things change due to, you know, practical reasons and stuff like that. But I would I would call Bloodbeat a visionary film, um, and and Fabrice Zeferitos Zeferatos is a uh, visionary filmmaker, and it's it's sad that he only made this one movie. I wish he made another one, but the commentary is very he's very matter of fact. He's like, yeah, I wish we lit that better, or you know, <laughs> I really love this. <laughs> it's very this matter of fact. You know, he's like, I was really into Star Wars at the time, and I wanted to do something about family and this and that, so. I don't know. He maybe I'm overhyping it, but that's just how I feel about this movie. Um, I just think it's a a very bizarre masterpiece. I think you said it right before. You know where it goes past the the. It's so understand. It's so weird and bad that it goes right back up to like high art because it does have that European art film flair to it. I mean, there's lots of very interesting choices that are in this movie. Dude, and, uh, I, I, I love, I love hearing you go on and on about Bloodbeat. It, it's a, it's <laughs> such a weird film and it's really hard to articulate. I think why people like us are drawn to this kind of art. And I'm, I'm even more curious because just your job with dailies, I imagined you would get burned out looking at visual art, but I mean, even, I know nobody can see this, but in your room, you're surrounded by canvas art and, uh, framed work. Is is that art from outsiders or outsider art? I'm I'm new to the concept. Uh, yes. So there are a few pieces that are from outsider artists. We go to some fairs sometimes, like art festivals, and we pick up art. Um, but there's a few on the wall that my wife has done. There's uh, this one of the giant woman. There's these two of the cats. And then these rabbits down here are hers. But uh, this fucked up looking cat and that face and this one, those are all done by uh, um, artists that we have met at the, at the uh, festivals and like picked up their art. And there's also some other stuff over here. Like there's some really 
fun fun pieces yeah my wife and i love this kind of art and we try to fill our wall with uh, stuff it this i i'm, I'm going to show you guys this but obviously <laughs> it won't show up on the uh the podcast but we have this whole other wall full of oh, stuff oh wow over there and there's just yeah there's just a lot of a lot of art on the walls and a lot of it's by my wife uh who's very into the outsider art and we actually took a trip to this great museum in baltimore called the museum of visionary art and it's got tons of this kind of stuff so and but that's how i view stuff like bloodly but blood beat excuse me and the christmas evil even is like uh that guy had a specific vision and i can't wait to dive into christmas evil because it is become one of my favorites and we watch it multiple times around christmas um now what makes christmas evil um one of your top three well, I would say of the top three, it's number one. Oh, okay. Um, and that's I, because of Moss Garcia. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's that my favorite. I, uh, this, this, uh, this marriage to this film began 10 years ago. Again, same year as William, oddly enough. Um, my wife worked at, uh, an animation studio in Brooklyn when we were still living in New York at the time. And uh, for, you know, the day before they went on break, the, uh, the, the owner of the studio, like had them like watch a movie and it was Christmas evil. And she said, you have to see this movie. So luckily we found it in pieces on YouTube. And we were just so taken with Brandon Maggard's performance. Yeah. He goes, all in he is so committed and the his choices his acting choices i mean when he goes home after he finds out that co-worker duped him into working two shifts <laughs> and he's just like pacing in his apartment like humming loudly and then he like starts angrily humming santa claus is coming to town and like crushes the toy and he's like mm-hmm. you know it's just like it's really fascinating to watch like the choices the actor made and and it's another film where like the the director um you know hired a specific dp you know because he wanted it to look a certain way and there's like very well done shots yeah. you know the opening the opening scene there's a really like there's a forced perspective shot with like a giant snow globe in the foreground and then there's like a scene where he flees and this like door the screen door is like slowly closing it it's got a lot of great moments um the ending shot is great (laughs) yeah yes the ending shot is incredible i mean uh brandon maggart is the movie i mean he is so we do we we do shit all the time but it's christmas evil related we say i'm sorry my approach which is what he says in front of the children's hospital where he's starting to get mad at the security guard and the guy's like, who do you think you're talking to? He's like, I'm sorry, my, my approach is... And then he like goes on. So we say that. We we have Christmas gifts under the tree that are from Harry. We say like, Tori, my wife Tori, from Harry, you know? Love it. And then we always talk about like, if it's not a jolly dream, it's not worth having. You know? <laughs> I would love to have that art. I would love to have that that drawing of the Santa Claus because uh, it's so creepy and it's just so, <laughs> you know. And there's going back to Brandon Maggard's performance. Like he does these things that are like 
you laugh like when you first watch it because you're like, oh my god, it's so over the top. Like, remember he's looking at himself in the mirror and he does that little like thing with the that Santa does with his nose and there's like the xylophone sound and then he like does the dramatic like face wipe where he goes yeah, from like yeah. happy to serious, like I'm transforming for work. You know, it's just so ridiculous. But like, he comes across as completely genuine the whole movie though. Like and just yes. and, and completely yes. broken, but like you you buy it you buy into it one hundred percent, and you are completely invested in this guy because again it's he's in it, man, and like you're you're in it for the ride, and then you know accompanied by the great Jeffrey Demun, who we haven't even mentioned yet, um, shows up as his brother, and this whole thing is that he goes on this you know rage, uh, essentially because he was tormented as a child. Uh, when he was six or seven, uh, because he saw his mother um, getting eaten out by Santa Claus. Is that, <laughs> we're pretty close to that. Yep. And um, I mean, yeah, so that, that that tormented him and he worked at a toy factory and uh, just, man, what fun. <laughs> it's just fun. And- yeah, I mean, actually, actually, it's a very miserable movie, but like my watching it is always like enjoyable. Like, and I really appreciate like I used to watch it like I don't say like ironically like it's more like sarcastically you yeah. watch something where you enjoy something sarcastically rather than ironically like so it used to be that and we'd be like oh my god we have to show this movie to everybody and we did like for a number of years we would just be like let's bring over Christmas Evil and let's have people and come over and watch it and this and that but I've really grown to just like love the movie uh for like as a movie like not as like just a um you know, sort of a sarcastic enjoyment of it. And I, my viewing of, of crazy movies like this have like changed, have shifted. It's more like, I want to share this with people, not because like, Oh, it's so bad and blah, blah, blah. It's more like, no, it's so unhinged and it's so weird and crazy. And it's very inspiring, you know, uh, because like they, he wanted to tell that story and he did. <laughs> yeah. So like he's a success in my book, you know? And again, he didn't make anything after that. So it's very it's very sad when you have these really special, crazy movies come out. But I also understand because they probably had a lot of heartache with how it got distributed or, you know, people saw them as flops and they didn't want them to get made again. And that's the thing that kind of like gets me um, a little down about the industry, you know, and that's why I feel like I'm, I would feel more more comfortable as an outsider, like making the things in my own way and then like bringing them out to the world as opposed to like try and get someone, some kind of producer to give me like a lot of money to do it. I'd rather like find a way to get the money myself to make it. So that way, like I have complete control over the project and it's really up to me and my team to make it as best we can. We don't have to have people meddling in it. <laughs> so that's, so that's how I feel about it. So, and, and <laughs> I must I, I must talk about one more uh, one more other film before I, I kind of go into Dial Code Santa Claus. I can't say too, too much about Dial Code Santa Claus, even though when I saw it last year, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, but I saw it last year and I just walked away thinking, this is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like this film is a masterpiece. Like I was so taken with its visual aesthetic. It's, it's like um, atmosphere and its direction. Like, so I'll, I'll get into Dial Code Santa Claus in, in one minute. But there's one more film, <laughs> it's not Christmas related, that I wanted to talk about. 
and I'm, it's staring at me dead in the eye. That's why I need to bring it down. Well, Brian, I'll just tell you this now. You can come back. We'd love to have you on here again. Oh, okay. So next time I'd you love, get the I'd bug and you want to talk about horror film, dude, just hit us up. We'll make it work. Okay. But please jump right. into it. Yeah. Okay. So this is the last one I'm going to just sidetrack to. It's called God Monster of Indian Flat. And uh, I was really smitten with this film. I saw it last year. Agfa put it out along with something weird video and I saw the trailer on YouTube and it's basically just like one shot of this like terrible looking sheep monster walking up <laughs> to some trees and eating hot dogs and then they all scream and then it's like the title hot dogs <laughs> yeah they're eating hot dogs and then this so? like um sheep monster just like walks up from behind them and then they all like <laughs> see it and they scream and they run away but but this movie is made by an actual outsider artist like his oh. name is Frederick Hobbs and this is the last movie he made, but he also does like paintings and moving like sculptures and stuff like that. So he was an actual like artist. Um, Brian, what you have done um, is that you have solved a puzzle for us uh, without even knowing it. So while you're talking about this, Russell's pulled up the IMDB and we're looking at, at different images and stills and we have seen this as a part of the Alamo pre-show and was wondering what the hell it was. Uh, so th- th- this has uh, answered a question that I've had for several years now. Yeah, it was one of their uh, uh, don't talk on the phone or your kids will be eaten by a sheep monster. Yeah. Come on. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, but, um, you know, this this movie has like a very like serene opening. They're playing like this Bach piece of this music by Bach about sheep like safely grazing and the movie's about a sheep monster and there's like elements of like David Lynch, you know, and some of the surreal imagery and the ending is one of the most, it's a movie that it's when I first saw it, the movie, when it ended, I was like, that movie like lost its mind. Like I just watched (laughs) a movie completely lose touch with the reality and go insane. And, uh, it's really, uh, it's really a sight to see. I definitely recommend it. Um, and there's like parts of it that definitely feel like it was made by like somebody who is an artist. Um, I always have this like little twinge, like whenever I watch a movie like blood beat or God monster, Vinian flats, um, and they use classical music. I always, in my mind, I think like, well, okay, this filmmaker is going to be on a sort of another level because they're aware of like composers like Prokofiev or, Charles Ives or whoever, and they decide to use that music in their film. So, because I've done that too in my some of my films, I pick a piece of music that's, you know, a little more obscure or something. And uh, so, when when that happens in another film, it's like, okay, this person has intent. They're not just, you know, doing another kind of like exploitation type of film. You know, even um, something like Invasion of the Blood Farmers has like great classical music in it. And, um, you know, I have to, like, look up that piece of music so I can hear it, you know? You know, that, and, uh, I'm going to stop you there. That's really interesting. And I always thought classical music was put in indie film because of budgetary restraint. Like, it was almost like public domain and they could just use it for free. I also thought, I because I try to think about audience reaction a lot. And I enjoy classical music, but I don't have an educated palette there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know a composer. And, like, you could play something that's, like, very obscure and learned and it would float over 99% 
of uh, audiences' yeah, yeah. heads. So do you think it actually kind of comes as a deterrent where it's almost like canned pretentiousness to use classical music for like, I don't know, somebody came out of a uh, Fast and Furious 10 and then threw on God, God Monster of Indian Flats? <laughs> like, are they like, oh, oh this so hack? <laughs> I think, well, that's a very interesting double feature. Uh, yeah. to go from you know, a movie like that to God Monster of Indian Flats. I don't think... You know, it depends because sometimes somebody can use classical music and it comes off so pretentious and so like annoying, but I still love it. Um, I case in point, um, the most, uh, not the most, but I will say the ending of Zardoz is one of the most pretentious endings (laughs) I've ever seen in a movie. And he's using like Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, which is like, I, I remember hearing that in like trailers for like irreversible. And I yeah. think it also showed up in Watchmen, um, this, this, the series Watchmen. Um, but you know, even Watchmen had a couple pieces of music that I wasn't aware of. What's, what's exciting is like when I see a movie like uh, God monster, Vinny and flats, and then I hear a piece of music and I'm like, what is that? And I have to look it up. And then I finally, I discovered this whole new piece of classical music. I had no idea about, um, that's the movie that had like a, a symphony by this guy, Charles Ives, who I had never heard of before. And then all of a sudden I like heard this symphony. I was like, this is beautiful. Like this is beautiful music. And he, he, he knew about it and he chose to put it in his film. You know, it's like, and, and even like certain, you know, uh, pieces of music like are titled something that may tie in with the theme of the movie that they're trying to convey. So I always feel like there's something, uh, there that others may not necessarily get, but uh, I certainly can can relate to. Um, for sure, no, Brian. I got, I got a uh, personal question for you. H- how old sure. are you? How old am I? Yeah. Uh, how old do you think I am? Oh, I don't know. I you're hitting a lot of the same wavelengths that I hit, so I want to say mm-hmm. early thirties. I am thirty-seven. Okay. Now, I only ask because you, the I like watching movies with people, and the only people mm-hmm. that can really like nerd out about choices made in Zardos, they tend to be slightly older. Now, you're not, uh-huh. you don't look it though, and I'm like, you got like an old soul or something, and I'm. It's not because they're old; it's because of their relationship with technology. And if you get mm-hmm. somebody who's not on their phone the whole time, you can really sit down and like dissect like the choices made in Godzilla and Mm -hmm. the people who pay attention to story and script. Yeah. Like all the dudes that I know that are into like creature features. And I guess here's the thing. Now the God monster of Indian flats, that looks amazing because there's an amazing suit and we have the cowboy background, but it also looks like a movie that could be very slow paced and we don't get, you know, um, we don't get to the candy parts until like the late third act. And whenever I'm trying to curate stuff, I I try to know my audience and I'm like, now I'm getting vibes that you could hang with some like really slow paced shit, which is like blood beat. Like that's not a, mm-hmm. that's not a troll too, is what I'm trying to no, say. No. Yeah, yeah. Or like exactly. the room, like those are movies that are constantly making weird choices and can hold, yeah. like you could come out of Fast and Furious 10 and go get drunk at the room. And that's a great night. But if you mm-hmm. throw on Bloodbeat, that's now okay. The three films you pick, uh, 
uh, God, there's like three different names. What are we calling it? Code uh, Noel, Paracode Noel. Game over. Game over. Yeah, there's that one. Yeah, so. Dial code Santa Claus. Dude, you've kind of got the perfect triple feature because dial code Santa Claus is uh you're you're right. It's it's perfect. It's just a good movie. And it's really easy yeah. to watch. I have not seen. Then you throw on Christmas Evil, which is also a good movie, but it's getting a little weird. And then you got your midnight feature and you go uh Bloodbeat. And you you're playing Bud Bloodbeat at uh, midnight? We gotta do that last because that's that's the that's the crowd you want to Brian, hang do you sign do you sign off on this order? I think so, yeah, because uh, Deadly Games is the most feels the most like it would have been made by a mainstream filmmaker. Right. Um, I think there's stories. Um, I think the director claims that Home Alone ripped him off. He does. Yeah, he does because uh, it came out in '89, and then Home Alone was '90. He is he is fascinating too because ever after I watch a movie by someone like this or, or the person who made Bloodbeat or, or Chris Stevel or God Monster of Indian Flats is that I start to like look them up and try to understand them and like what happened to them and like why aren't they making things or this and that. But like it's so exciting to know that Kathleen Kennedy and George Lucas saw Dial Code Santa Claus <laughs> yeah. and then hired him to direct stuff for the young Indiana Jones show. <laughs> like that was like he wound up directing some episodes of the what is it called the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh yeah, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh, and then he yeah. went on to Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah. Hey now, <laughs> that's my favorite so, uh, like, David Duchovny softcore so porn. That's, that's exciting to see to, to know that like Spielberg and Lucas saw Dial Code Santa Claus and saw that he was a talent and hired him like to do to do that show. I mean, that's a little bit like what happens now with filmmakers. Um, but I think what, like, I don't know, it's weird. It's hard to tell because like, it's nice that they chose him to do like television and stuff like that. And then maybe he can like go do more stuff in France versus like, I made one movie and now I get to make Jurassic world. You know, <laughs> I just feel like that's a huge, that's a huge leap, you know? And uh, I would, I would rather have like a sort of a slow boat. Uh, to something like that, you know, I've I've even like had conversations, you know, hypotheticals uh, with my wife, where it's like, man, if I could just do like one of those movies, I don't have to do any more of them, and I can go back and do the kinds of movies that I want to do. Like I've joked, like I was like, I'll do the Hungry Hungry Hippos movie, and then I can take all that money, and I can and I can like go back and make the kinds of films that I want to make. Dude, you, know, so. you, you got to bring William on TikTok, get the TikTok dollars. <laughs> And then you could go on. So if if you had a blank check right now, what is the movie you would make? I would want to make Boogers, which is the movie that I've been thinking about for like the past past couple of years, actually. Uh, and it's about a guy whose nose is haunted and he sneezes out ghosts and he seeks the help of an ear, nose and throat exorcist. <laughs> God, I fucking hate you, Brian. I feel like I feel like. If you were untalented and, uh, I don't know, life dealt you a worse hand, you'd be in this room with us on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's like, God damn it. So we have that, uh, we have a new, um, what do you, I don't want to call him a co-host. His ego inflates really quickly. We, we hired a guy, uh, Creepy Clark. And oh, when we were talking about, I don't know, maybe putting him on film, then we watched Gwilliam and we're like, oh, somebody already did it. <laughs> of course. 
<laughs> and I was just like, damn it, because we were talking about little puppets. And the and voices like, are not too dissimilar. No. <laughs> but Gwilliam's just like a professional version. So it's like, uh, thank you. I'll, I'll send word. To I know, don't tell him. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I don't know. Right when we saw it, we're like, you know, we got to talk to this guy. And uh, Brian, you didn't disappoint. I. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah i i don't I don't know how much I want to go into Code Santa Claus. I know we. Um, I mean, we we we've done an hour and a half. I know, and we could do easily another. And the thing is, I'm also mad that you have your fucking Blu-ray. Have they been sending those out already? Oh, so I I pre-ordered this like back. Um, I didn't get this at the Black Friday. I ordered this like before the Black Friday, like oh. when they announced that this was coming out. That's yeah. when I pre-ordered it. But I have a huge like pre-order that I have not gotten yet. But I think it's because I've ordered stuff that's coming out next year, so they're probably just gonna mail me everything in one bundle, which sucks because there's one thing in there that's like a Christmas present for somebody, so they're not. Gonna oh, get yeah, that's rough. I think Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> they're savvy enough yeah. where you can select to not have your whole order wait on pre-orders, but yeah, you, you got to double dip on the shipping and yep, yeah, I've never yep, done it. But I ordered something from Severin and I haven't gotten it yet. And I ordered it like right after Thanksgiving and they said it shipped like nine days ago, but I checked the status today and it's still like, we made the label for it. So <laughs> What'd you order? Frankie and his pals. I ordered, uh, well, I suppose this will come out before Christmas and hopefully he'll receive it by then. But I bought cruel jaws for my friend. Oh, oh hell yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. That, Oh my God. That was a very special viewing experience. Um, that was great. I couldn't get over, you know, what's funny. Like I can talk about a movie like Bloodbeat and say like, this is just, like amazing and the craft and this and that. And yet when I start talking about like, some of the Italian filmmakers, I'm like, where do they get off? Like, where do they have the audacity? <laughs> like, particularly, I was, I was truly floored that they used a cue from Star Wars yeah. in Cruel Jaws. I was like, how did they just get away with that? You know, and it's, it's the same director, I think, that did um, Shocking Dark. Yeah. Which is just oh. uh, Terminator 2 in Italy. Like, so... Yeah, that one I was 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 cool to watch. Uh, but I can't say I loved it. But what's funny is like his movies. I watched them. Um, I think he also did a uh, Robo War. And uh, what's funny is both Shocking Dark and Robo yep. War are clearly like ripping off one movie until the end, like the last five minutes, where they decide to rip off another movie. Dude, I didn't realize I was- Bruno Mattei had so many films. I yeah. Yeah, I I know uh, Terminator Two, Shocking Dark. We did Zombie Three. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, but you're totally right. The Italians can take like the absurd and really make it offensive somehow. <laughs> and what's I was wondering, like, when did they stop like just blatantly making unofficial sequels? And I think it was the '90s with Cruel Jaws because that was peddled as Jaws Five. Yeah, there. and um, yeah, I kind of just wondered, like, like. If they could, could they, would they still be like, would they do like Star Wars 10 over there? And it's just like not Star Wars at all. It's just some other kind of Italian ripoff. I don't know. They're interesting. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, of their uh, audacity. Um, but uh, if you want to talk about a movie that is like a laugh a minute and just like, I, I don't think it's frustrating, but I, it's like, it's kind of amazing. 
is uh, Dangerous Men. Oh, yeah. Dangerous Men is great. Yep. It reminds me of Mulholland Drive and Slacker. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are scenes with characters and we're with them for a bit and then the movie just drops them. And like, we're done with him. You know, like I, I, it's got this weird dream logic, but I think that played into the fact that it was like, it took like 25 years to make. Um, I love that bloat that it takes like 25 years to make, but he's another interesting person. Uh, John S. Rad, you know, I'd be yeah. curious to see what his movies were like in Iran. Like, I wonder like when they come over here, you know, there's, cause a number of these, like, like Fabrice who did Bloodbeat is French. He came here to make a movie. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, John Rad came here and there's several others, like the guy who did Samurai Cop, like, like they've made movies like in their, you know, country of origin. And I wonder like what they're like compared to like their American films. Like, are they also like poorly made or are they like better? I don't know. It's, it's well, interesting. Troll 2 is a good example because, you know, we get like Demon Dog and we can see other movies that he's made and uh, they're very similar. I think the thing with John Rad though is that nobody could find any of the films that he made back in Iran. And the story I had heard was that he came over and he did the room thing where he rented a theater, bought a billboard and just told everybody, I'm a big deal back where I came from. Here's my movie. Yeah. And everybody watched it and went, what the fuck? <laughs> and did you watch dangerous men with me? No, Russell, is this the one where, um, after you saw it, uh, you and Grant both said that I was in that movie. Maybe a, a guy, <laughs> That look a like guy me. that looked like me and sounded like me. It might have been. Was that Dangerous Man? So we saw it at the Alamo. He was a cop. Um, one of our previous guests on the show, Dan, uh, a.k.a. the Math Mage. Dan is, oh, he has weird relationships with movies. He's also not a phone guy and pays. He's the guy that you show a random slasher to, and he remembers every character name. Not because he wants to. It's like, it's a mental illness. <laughs> right. He's also a guy where if you go into a public setting, he'll put his bare foot on the table <laughs> at a restaurant. Yeah. Russell continued. Yeah. So after watching Dangerous Men, he, on because uh, we were at the Alamo, he took one of the scratch paper and he wrote a flow chart of what he thought the plot wanted to be. Oh, yeah. And so he, he did a flow chart and a pie graph. And um, we were hanging out with the program director and he was like, what's that? And he was like, oh, it's it's what the director was trying to do with the story. And he went, dude, can I see that? So he took a picture of it and tweeted it on the album. Again. That's great. Dude. But yeah. That's great. I, now, fuck. I know we got to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I, because I want to talk to him after we stop recording. All right. Briefly. Well, we got to record the intro in 20 minutes. I know. Go ahead and do the outro then. No, I, I thought you were building up to it. But. No, no, because there's shit I want to talk to him about, but it's going to be a, a tangent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Brian. Oh, I, I, could, I could stick around and we could talk after, after okay. as well, because I don't mind. I would love to do that. Perfect. Sure. Uh, well, Brian, before we cut you loose, uh, first of all, thanks again, man. This was a blast. And uh, anytime you want to come back on, we'll definitely do it. Uh, any, I would anything, love that. Yeah, man. Um, anything you want to plug, um, anything you're working on, um, or a- any sort of uh, your, your website, any social media thing you want to plug. Oh, and plug your wife's work, too, if she's selling that art. Sure. Um, I don't know. She might have an Etsy page. I'm not <laughs> sure. I have to, I have to ask you her, can but, email um, it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, but you can watch uh, most of my films on uh, com. I'm not on social media anymore. I kind of left that. I was getting tired of it. But uh, Good for you, man. Power to recently, you. Like, thank you. Uh, most recently, we have The Devil's Asshole, which might be playing in festivals next year. Um, and then we also made a an exquisite corpse remake of the movie Frankenstein, and it's directed by 21 filmmakers, including myself, under lockdown with whatever we could do. So there's like this 21 minute movie of of uh, Frankenstein made by like all these different filmmakers, and it changes from like minute to minute in its style and its cast and stuff. And that that you can watch online as well. Um, but yeah, there's lots of lots of lots of stuff out there. Lots of weird robots and goblins and crow hands and all that all that stuff. If you're into that, <laughs> then you should go check out my website. Yeah, and Kornstein, I believe, uh, Gwilym makes a cameo. If if that's what it takes to that's get you out there. There you yeah, go. He's in two. All right. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Brian. And uh, we'll, we'll chat soon, man. Okay. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening to Cobra's crew Christmas carols album. I hope you had a laugh. And if you are offended by this, then please have yourself a happy holidays. Bye. <laughs>